like I think that people are largely ruled by their their memories because all you know of your life is what you remember happening and at the same time memory is kind of this murky sort of inaccurate recollection of what happened Welcome to the Flying Fruit Bowl, a platform dedicated to the discussion and exploration of art and the creative process. For this week's episode, I had a conversation with Emma Carr. Emma is an artist from Denver, United States, who creates strange, otherworldly images that evoke a sense of displacement and denise. Emma's painting process is akin to collage, where she'll paint the landscapes and her images in plain air, and then add her subjects in by painting from photographs to create paintings that are layered and off-kilter. So, we're going to start where I start with everybody, which is just tell us a bit about yourself and how you became an artist. I think that I became an artist largely because my mom made a really big effort when we were kids, my sister and I, uh, to take us to art shows and galleries and museums. We were kind of always looking at something or or going to a a little jam session or you know, and our house was full of books uh, and and paintings and music. And so I think being being around that all the time kind of prepared me, paved the way, I guess, for me to be an artist. And then I got really lucky uh, when I moved to New Orleans when I was about 22. Um, and I befriended the founder of the um, Academy of Fine Arts in New Orleans um, because I was working as a model. Like I was modeling for artists. I did that for a few years in my early 20s. Um, And the founder, whose name is Ausiquis Ozals, um, he kind of took me under his wing and he he let me study at the school on a work exchange program. Um, And that really completely changed my life, uh, actually. And so, yeah, I think it was a combination of how I grew up and and just that that lucky break with getting to go to that school. So I, that's really interesting because I feel like we don't necessarily have, and it's a question that I've just added to this list that I forgot I didn't actually add previously, uh, but I feel like we don't actually have, or like society doesn't necessarily always value art in the same way that it should. And I think the fact that you were raised in a family where art was considered valuable or is considered like something to be looked at and to be observed and to kind of uh, be taken notice of. Um, I think that's really nice. I feel like we don't often get that. So I guess the question I wanted to ask you is like, do you think that society values art? Do I think that society undervalues art? Yeah, or just values it in terms of in the way that it should do. I think that society is is really obsessed with art, but doesn't value how much time <laughs> it takes to make it. Um, yeah, I think that that became pretty apparent to me during COVID, like kind of how important art was in quarantine for people. Yeah. You know, if you think about being in quarantine and if you didn't have music or television or movies or podcast, you know, anything creative, it would have just been so much more devastating. And I think, yeah, today we live in this kind of rapid speed environment and we're exposed to art in a really fast paced way. So we're, I think we're kind of saturated with it and we're around it all the time, but I don't think that people 
really understand what it like how much work goes into it mm. to making it and how do you think we could change that though um well you have this question about should artists be more transparent mm. or you've had that conversation should yeah. artists be more transparent with uh kind of their process on social media and i think that might be one thing um just just talking about it with each other and i don't know i don't know necessarily that we have to change it though because i think there's something magical yeah. about someone who's not an artist being able to just click a button and watch a movie that like changes their life mm. and you know it's the artist's job to do all the work and it always has been and it always will and maybe we would stain someone's experience a little bit if we tried to make it about how much work it takes see i think that's actually a good point this idea of like actually the artist is supposed to do the work but i do also feel like it would be nice for people to understand just the amount of work that goes into it because i feel like there's always this misconception of artists as like and it's very kind of dated, but it's also very true where like you just get up and make work and then you go to sleep and it's like, that's it. When actually there's a, so many different levels of being an artist because like there's so many different skills you need to know and hats you have to wear. Like what are kind of some of this, there's most, probably the most surprising skills that you've had to learn or things you have to do as an artist that you weren't really prepared for. Yeah, I think one thing is learning how to handle the fact that being an artist isn't linear. Mm. Mm. Um. So, for example, like I used to work on a farm. I used to work on farms a lot. Wow. And, you know, working on a farm is tremendously difficult. But if you say you have five hours to work in the afternoon, then you can get X amount of work done in those five hours, right? This is like a question of what you can physically accomplish in five hours. And if I go to the studio for five hours, I don't know what I'm going to get done. You know, like I mm. could get a whole painting done or I could just sit there and like ruin an entire painting and then have to start it again. And yeah. there's something really difficult about that. And also the fact, you know, other aspects of this sort of nonlinear process are, you can make a painting and it can sell tomorrow or you can make a painting and it can sell in 10 years. So you're essentially yeah. doing work and not knowing how much of it you're going to get done and not knowing when it's going to come back and pay you. Um, and I think that that's like learning to kind of navigate that is really difficult and um, learning to be by yourself also, because I think, I mean, as my understanding is that all artists go through this, but I think for me, I definitely go through periods where I just really am not feeling creative or like making mm. anything. And that can last a week or a month or a year. And when you're working professionally, you have to, you have to maintain the level of production that you have and you have to, you know, send your work to galleries or whatever contracts you're under um and you have to navigate that essentially by yourself because you don't have a boss um and so that's been pretty that's been really difficult um to kind of navigate that and those are things that you know they don't teach you in art school yeah <laughs> so yeah so that's interesting i actually had this conversation probably about half an hour ago with a with an artist from australia which is super fun um and she was saying about how 
there are things as artists that you can't do by yourself. You always need other people to help you do stuff. And it's kind of the consideration that you have to also remember, like you can't do everything yourself. Like I feel like artists are always expected to be everything. They're expected to be the business person, the social media star, the actual creator. You're expected to be everything, but you can't be because you don't have all of those skills. And, you know, you'll have some strengths, some weaknesses. You have to ask people for help here and there. I think it's really important, actually. Is that something you found yourself? Like, would you say you have any particular strengths or weaknesses? Strengths and weaknesses? Yeah, I think um, my strength is creative. I kind of usually always have a million ideas going on. Mm. Um, So in that sense, I don't find it that difficult to, like, find subject matter for my paintings whether or not i'm feeling driven to make them is a different story but um my weakness is certainly on the business side um and i've been to a business school online for art it's called the um the mba program mastering the business of art uh which is a really cool resource for artists um i like to shout that out whenever i can because i think it's it's hard to kind of discern uh what are good tools on the internet and what are you know scams and stuff for artists um so that was a really good program that i went through but yeah that's i i i don't have a natural like business mindset so i really have to study it and um and and really try and make an effort and make myself do all that stuff the admin and the business and the outreach and the social media and all that stuff um but yeah i think you make a really good point like nobody's really nobody functions alone and no one builds their career alone either. Um, and it just takes a tremendous amount of work and, and luck, frankly, and, you know, small little interactions compounded over time that determine your success. Um, yes. I think I spoke to two artists last week. Wait, what day? Well, no, this week, one last week, one this week. I can't remember what I speak to people. I speak to 200 people. Yeah, so I spoke to an artist last week called Anna McDonald and an artist this week called Susan Stillman. And they're both older artists. And the one thing that they kind of, the one thing that I learned from them is that it's easy to forget in this society that all the work, and it kind of goes back to what we're saying, like all the work you're creating now, you may not see the dividends from that for decades. Just because you're creating work now doesn't mean it's going to sell. Just because you're creating work now doesn't mean that's what you're going to be doing in 20, 30, 40 years time. That you have to remember like art is a lifelong process and you know as susan said she was like if you're lucky enough to live a long time and be able to still be making art in 40 years you want to still feel just as uh just as curious about it then as you are now so it's about kind of finding a way to work in which like you're able to kind of enjoy yourself but also obviously make money but also kind of realize that it's not all going to happen overnight because if you wanted to happen overnight you'd probably be doing something different you know you'd probably be dancing <laughs> yeah. on tiktok you know um yeah. Or, you know, not even just that, you have to also remember, like, if you peak, where do you go from there? You know, so it's, I feel like, because I see a lot, because, you know, I talk to a lot of artists and I see a lot of artists really struggle with the idea of, like, not being quote unquote successful enough so soon. And it's like, it's very easy to watch somebody else and be like, oh, I want to be like them without, with, you know, I'm very much forgetting that, you know, you're on your own journey, which is easy to say. It feels very different, but you're on your own journey and the way you're going to approach creativity is so different to everybody else. So it's like, you have to remember, like, just do what you can on the days you're able to, and then everything else will take care of itself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think there's like a level of comfort in that too, 
Um, yeah, I find myself like I want to be successful, but I also totally get what you're saying with peaking and then not knowing mm. where to go. And yeah, I think that would be really difficult to handle at any age, but definitely mm. at a younger age where you still yes. have decades to go in your career. And then, you know, people start to expect a certain thing from you. If you got yes. famous off of one Absolutely. show that you sold out one time and then everybody just associates you with that sort of art and that might not necessarily even be what you want to be making um yes yeah it's a it's tricky it's very tricky and it's like there's no there's no guarantee at all of anything like i was having this conversation with a friend the other day about there's sort of this trifecta of traits that you have to have you have to be you have to be talented and you have to be i think the other one was like talented and um like perseverant like you have to continue to make things constantly even when it's hard Mm. and then the third thing you have to have is luck Mm. and it's like so you can be really talented and really good at what you do and you can be consistent and perseverant and produce a ton of work and not have that third element of luck and it just won't for you um yeah and it's just that's that's just this difficult reality that i think all artists kind of sit in well i really agree with that i feel like the older i get the more i realize think a lot of things are about timing because it's also like is this especially particularly like online like is this social media driven world the best time for you to producing the work you're producing like does your work fit in or does your work have a place in this kind of like technologically crazed world because i feel like that plays a large role in like how people disseminate their work for instance and it's like, does your work hold people's attention for long enough? Is your work quote unquote interesting enough? And it doesn't have to necessarily be. But then if it's not, it's like, then how are you contextualizing your work? You know, how are you making sure that people understand it? I feel like it's, I think a lot of things are about timing. I think that's definitely what I've learned from just knowing a lot of artists and talking to a lot of artists and seeing a lot of artists kind of careers change and grow. It's really interesting, actually. Yeah, yeah. And it's hard to, contextualize paintings because there's so much that goes into them and then if you just see an image of Mm. the final product yeah you don't know how big it is or where it is or how they made it or what it's painted on or um yeah and it's also hard you know sometimes i think about my my social media feed and i've started making reels to like show the process but then if you go on my page it's just these images of the process and not the work so it's like what are you making you know and the, and so it's like this really hard balance to strike uh, between you know showing your process and 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 showing the final product and they're really they're really two separate things and at the end of the day after the work of art is sold the process is sort of irrelevant um the artwork is going to live you know however long and however many people are going to see it, it's going to kind of live its own life. Um, I think the process gets kind of forgotten after that, but but it's certainly interesting to talk about and kind of see online. I also feel, though, I don't know if, like, showing the process in terms of, like, speed edits are just, like, enough. Because I always say to people, and I, this is not I love to see, so I always say to people when I can, because I love to give people advice that I never take, um, and that is, like, <laughs> do voiceovers have a reel with your process but talk over talk about your process as well don't just show your process because if you talk about your process people are going to be more engaged because like we hear your voice 
voices are very personal and I feel like maybe because I do a podcast it's just easy for me to be like yeah cool I'll just send a random voice message to people but I always feel like if people hear your voice they'll have more of a personal connection therefore they'll be like oh actually I feel like I know this person a bit better you know therefore like if you talk over your reels and talk about your process and why you've chosen to do what you do it's going to stop people a bit more it's going to you know attract more attention because like, oh actually let's listen to this now I don't know for me at least for me if somebody has like voiceover reels um I'll always listen and stop and, and watch because I'm like this is interesting I want to know about the process not just see the process personally yeah that's a really good point I've heard that too I feel like I'm too I'm like up until now been too shy to kind of like <laughs> put yeah. it out there like that but uh no it's a good point I think any sort of like human aspect yeah. to social media is more engaging or in art frankly it's like just in the, life yeah yeah it, it's like it's a reason that i will send voice messages to artists that i don't know um just randomly because it's just it's personal you know it, it develops a a better understanding straight away because when you when I, you speak to somebody you understand what they mean when you text somebody there's a lot of interpretation and like for me like i like to kind of know i, I like kind of like to know if I say to you, like, oh, I like your work, I want you to hear that I like your work, not just know that I like it. There's a very different thing there. So for me, I'm like, just send my solution to everything is just send voice messages to people. That's my solution. <laughs> yeah. Literally, just have your voice there, have your face there if you want it. You don't have to have your face there, but you can if you want to. Like, kind of try to figure out, even if you're like shy, even if you're introverted, even if you're, you know, you prefer to be behind the camera, there are ways you can incorporate personality into your reels, into your work, into your social media that is going to be comfortable for you you know you don't have to dance in front of your work it's not necessary yeah but there has to be some way in which you can be comfortable being more personal because i think it's really important personally yeah yeah it is yeah it's like just another hat you have to wear as an artist and actually what are the hats you have to wear as an artist well so there's yeah i feel like there are multiple selves to the artist like there's the self of kind of when you're alone in the studio just making work and nobody else is there um there's the professional self of like how are you going to present yourself to people that you're working with uh and then there's a third kind of administrative hat that's Mm. like just the hours that you spend or that i spend on the computer you know logging my inventory and sending emails and and all that stuff um yeah there's just there's so much more to it i think than people than people realize even going into the career i didn't realize how much would go into it um but yeah it's a lot of juggling and and timing and um and being being presentable like i really try to be professional and and on time when i'm you know dealing with gallery owners or you know you with the podcast or anything like that um because i feel like the art world is already so ambiguous hmm. so like going the extra step and making it easy for people to work with you in a professional sense and sort of having reliable products like products that are like physically reliable like artwork that lasts a long time and that is like in good condition and well framed and well varnished and all of that sort of thing is 
is sort of an easy way that I've found to, to, it makes it easier for people to work with you because Mm -hmm. everything is already so mercurial and, and sort of wishy-washy in the art world. It's all sort of the entire market is essentially based on like emotion and Mm -hmm. whatever else, this factor that you can't really name in the the art world. So if you can kind of, if I, I feel like it, you can do little things like that that make it easier, uh, yeah, easier to work with you. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good point. I think being presentable, and I think actually just presenting yourself, like applying for opportunities, applying for group shows, applying for things, seeking out new opportunities. I think that's also very important. It's something that people don't really talk about often enough, like, you know, like writing grants and stuff like, you know, just there's so many things that you kind of, have to consider and actually do you actually have any advice for aspiring artists yeah my advice would be just keep on pursuing it and keep on reaching out because it i think it really is sort of a numbers game like i made this spreadsheet because i researched all these galleries in the u.s that sell kind of the sort of paintings that i make and it ended up being like 120 galleries. And so, and I'm not through emailing all of them, but I'm, I've emailed about 80 of them uh, consistent, you know, and then following up and da, 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 here's my portfolio, follow up again, follow up again. And eventually, actually, most of the ones that I emailed responded and most of them said no, but I did get into a pretty decent, like really good gallery actually in, uh, in Denver um called a bend that i'm working with mm. now so anyway you know if you look at kind of the end result of that it's like okay I'm, I'm working with this good gallery in denver that's really exciting the work that went behind that was this whole spreadsheet and essentially like 79 rejections and months and months of researching all of those galleries and emailing them and reaching out you know so it's like that's sort of this hidden underworld of the artist experience i think because there's this really deep mythology around artists about being discovered Hmm. um and that's true whether you're an actor or a musician or a writer or a painter you know uh there's this myth of like oh well one day i just you know bumped into someone or someone came into my studio and then there we were and then i was famous you know and it's like Hmm. really what you have to do is kind of promote yourself and and find opportunities for yourself Um, And that, I think, comes down to numbers. And I think if you can get yourself to a point where you're not discouraged by um, a no answer, like a, um, or not being discouraged by lack of response, um, I think you'll get really far. You just have to research the proper opportunities and then, like, continue to uh, present your work to them. Yeah. And that's actually really solid advice, actually. And that's really good advice. I think it's easy to want to just try to apply to any any and every gallery. But it's actually like if you do more research and if you really kind of think about where you fit in or where you belong or kind of like where you think you might be um, accepted, then I feel like that kind of gives you a better insight into like where your career can align and who your career can align with. You know, I think that's also very important to look at contemporaries and be like, well, actually, this person here, Close work that is similar to mine. It's not the same, but it's similar. Like, where are they showing? And actually, one thing I always have people to do, as if I have any authority to do so, but um, one thing I always say to people to do is, like, the best way I found, like, if you want to find, like, art blogs or art websites to submit your work to, the easiest way to do it is find an artist you really like, 
Google the Google and reverse image search that where their work appears online, and then contact those places, and then be like, oh, actually. So if you search, say, I don't know, let's say you search Francis Bacon because who doesn't like Francis Bacon, and look at where his work is appearing online in terms of like who's written interviews about him or with him or transcripts. Um, or actually, let's choose somebody contemporary. Let's say um, Mark Ryden. Let's say, I don't know if you know his work, but let's say Mark Ryden, contemporary artist painting nowadays. I'll send you his work later. Painting nowadays. Only because I mentioned him in an interview a few days ago and I was like, here's my mind. Um, it's like pop surrealism, which is really interesting. A whole like complete genre. Um, so someone like Mark Ryden, you look, you like his work. You're, you do pop surrealism, say. You'll Google his work. Look at everywhere his work is currently being shown in terms of like websites and blogs and interviews. And then just contact those people and be like, oh, hey, I'm an artist. I was really, you know, I read your work, your interview with Mike Ryden. I really loved it. Wondering if you'd be interested in interviewing me or, or possibly get interviewed. That's probably the best way to do it. Makes the most sense that I've found. But yeah, that's my advice to people if they want to find out places to actually share their work beyond social media. Because I think that's also a key. I think social media is great, but it only gets you so far. Because it's not, as you said earlier, like you don't, you're not always just going to get discovered by sharing on social media. You know, I think particularly if your reach A is not big or B, if people aren't just seeing your post because they just don't see it nowadays. You know, I think you have to have influence outside of social media, particularly Instagram, for people to really kind of like, you know, be drawn to your work. You're like, you know, places like My Modern Metropolis and Boom.com. And I've got, I actually have, uh, which I'll send you at some point if you want. I've got a list of places that I found it years ago that I just like a list of places to submit your work to. I'll send it to you if you like. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, I would love to see that. I posted it ages ago. It's on my Instagram somewhere. It's floating around somewhere in one of the highlights, I think. Um, but I always love sending it to people because it's like, this is a list of places that I I can say they're good places to submit your work to. Because I used to, back in the day, I used to like scour through art blogs and art sites when I was younger, when I was at school, hence me creating my own and having a podcast. So yeah, so I've got, I'll send you a list basically, a place to submit your work to. Yeah, I would love that. Um, yeah. Anyway, sorry, I got completely off topic to whatever we're talking about. So <laughs> no, no, my apologies. So at what point did you feel comfortable calling yourself an artist? Oh, yeah, this is a really good question. I think a lot of people struggle with this, myself included. Um, I don't think that I started calling myself an artist until a year or two ago. And I think it had a lot to do with figuring out the sort of paintings that I wanted to make and then making them, um, Mm. which was a sort of 10-year process of like... I had these images that I wanted to make and I didn't have the vocabulary, the visual vocabulary to produce them um and then i went to school and learned how to paint and then sort of lost my ideas and my voice a little bit after school uh, and then had to circle back to what i really wanted to make and then finally in the last two years i've started making the work that i really want to make um and now i feel like i can call myself an artist (laughs) Um, but it's still, you know, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a weighty word and I feel like it's like, it's sort of a sacred trade. And, and I, I think that's why it took me so long to, to really want to use that word. Um, I don't think it's a term to be used lightly. So what makes somebody an artist? Um, oh, okay. So my teacher in school Asiklis he would say he had this quote hanging on the wall and it was like uh, a person who works with his hands is a laborer 
a person who works with his hands and his mind is a craftsman and a person who works with his head and his hands and his heart is an artist. Okay. So there's like this emotional piece where you're creating things, I think from, from somewhere inside of you. Uh, And there's like, there's a vulnerability there. Yeah. But I think, I think it largely, it's an ambiguous term and it has become an ambiguous term. Um, Because I think if you had asked, you know, what is a painter, if you had asked that six, seven hundred, eight hundred years ago, I mean, like a painter was was a very clear and definite profession where you had to produce representational work. Like if you wanted to if you, you know, if you're a wealth, a wealthy merchant and you want to purchase land in a foreign country. You would hire a painter to go survey the land and paint it and bring you back the paintings and show you what the land looked like, right? And you had to then, as that painter, make a painting that looked exactly like the land that this merchant was going to buy. So, like, at that point, it's a very it's a very concrete term and there's a, there's a very concrete um, level of competence that you have to reach and a very specific set of tools that you have to learn. And I think today it's it's a lot more um, open for people. And uh, there's a lot more opportunity for people to be personally involved in what they make. So I think it's it's gone from sort of a trade that was necessary to, you know, post-invention of the camera. It's become you know sort of whatever anybody wants to make it for themselves which is really cool that's a really interesting way to put it because i always ask people and the question that will come up later like very much later in the conversation is like can anybody be an artist but i never also ask people like so what makes somebody an artist because i feel like there's because people like to make a distinction between people who create and then people who are artists because i feel like they're not always the same but it's always trying to make that distinction is quite hard because like there's no such pure definition it's all very like loose so are you a full-time artist? Um, almost. I have Ooh. like a few side gigs. <laughs> no, so th- uh, that's like, that's, I think that's really personally, personally. And I, I feel like I said this in every single episode, you probably heard it a few times, but I think that's probably the best place to be. Cause I feel like, and I, I feel like I'm just literally repeating myself every single episode. But for me, I feel like there's nothing wrong with being a part-time artist. I feel like being a full-time artist, and I say this all the time, is not for everybody. I feel like sometimes it just it does not work out. Sometimes you just do not have the skills. You do not have the time. You do not have the uh, longevity. You just don't have the means to be able to be a full-time artist. I think it's not for everybody. It's the dream for everybody. Because who doesn't want to just, I say, just wake up and paint and go to sleep with it, that's it. But, <laughs> But who doesn't want to just kind of, you know, have a life where they're constantly creating? You know, who doesn't want that? But at the same time, it's like, that's not always valid for everybody. It's so easy to look at artists who have what seems to be like the perfect career, only to find out like, oh, actually, they have a partner that actually pays for everything. Or they have a scholarship that enables them to have a certain amount of money, or they have rich parents, or, you know, they're in a like financially comfortable position from like 30 years of working that allows them to be able to create this work. And it's so illusionary sometimes. You can look at people and be like, all they're doing is producing all this amazing work. They have, you know, 
months and months of that time to be able to just sit around and create. And it's like, I want that. But then you realize you can't have that because that's not your life. So I feel like the fact you're like on the cusp of becoming a full-time artist is actually really exciting because I feel like with your work, absolutely. Could you do that? Absolutely. I, there's a few artist friends that I have that I'm going to te- definitely send your way who are full-time artists. And I feel like you could benefit by talking to them. However, oh, cool. I also do think that just this idea that you are busy working, yet you're also prepared to spend your time on something that you are passionate about, that will change as soon as that becomes your full-time job. Like things change when money is involved. So it's always like, I always say to people, as again, as if I have any authority, but I'm always like, be careful because you love what you do now, but will you be loving it in a year's time when 90% of your day is admin and 10% is working on a piece of work? You know, it's it's a very different experience doing that full time. And I know a few artists here and there who are very stressed. They're, they're great artists. They're amazing people. They're, they're so lovely, but they're constantly stressed because it's always about, I need to pay my rent. I need money to eat. I need to, you know, have the right finances. And, you know, yeah, I think being a full-time artist isn't for everybody, but I feel like if it's something you want to do, absolutely go for it. But it's just, mind how you go, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I think it's, and I was thinking about this the other day and I thought, you know, if I got to a place of of being financially full, capable of uh, being full-time, I don't know that I would necessarily drop my side mm. gigs mm. because one, it's nice to get out of the studio and like yes. do something else. Yes. And, um, and, and that's sort of like a creative reset where it's like, you know, when you're not looking or thinking about it, it comes to you a little bit. Yes. Um, and then there's the other aspect of like being more conscientious with your time when you know that you have something to do at say 4 p.m and you're in the studio in the morning and you're like okay I have to get these things done I can't just you know be here till midnight like um so I think there's 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 a lot of advantages to to being a part-time artist honestly yeah you know yeah there's this dream like you said of waking up and creating but it's not that simple yeah Uh, like it sounds really romantic but like most things it's not all like fun and games it's really difficult so yeah yeah it's like I'm very fortunate to get to talk to a lot of people and I see a lot of people's careers and like of all the people I've spoken to on the podcast especially like it's interesting to kind of dig a little bit beneath the surface and understand like actually how they are operating in terms of like are they enjoying being a full-time artist? Are they even a full-time artist? They might appear to be, but they're actually not, you know, that kind of thing. It's always interesting for me to kind of understand like how people are actually working and how people actually manage the workload of being an artist. Because as you said, it's a lot of work. You don't think it is, but it's more work than you think it's going to be. This is the thing. Like, it's not just painting, waking up and painting and going to sleep, if only. Um, Although it it is if you can pay other people to do everything else for you. So there's yeah. also that. It's something else I was talking to actually a good friend of mine about today as well. Um, because all I do in my days is just talk to artists, um, clearly. Um, <laughs> which is actually not untrue. Um, all my friends are artists, which is the best thing ever. Um, but I was saying to her from our conversation yesterday, um, that you have to just sit down and make a plan, like figure out what you want. Because I think the problem is that a lot of artists go into being an artist without knowing what they want from it 
or without knowing kind of like just having some kind of plan it doesn't have to be concrete you don't have to have a business plan necessarily but having kind of like goals you want to hit and targets you want to meet and you know like how you're gonna if you're not good at social media how are you gonna get better you know just kind of stuff like that i think it's really important to to sit down with yourself and to analyze what you want versus what you think you want because i feel like it's very easy to get caught up in somebody else's dream and be like well, i want to be like them i don't know but you won't be because you're not i don't know it's yeah so, yeah and there's also yeah there's just so many different ways to be successful as an artist and yeah. there's so many you know you could sell your art to interior designers and like get really successful at that or you could focus on like getting press coverage or you could get good at social media or you know there's just like hundreds of avenues that you could go down and yeah i think you make a good point like you have to you have to choose a few things and then just go after those because otherwise you're just kind of like floating in a nebulous cloud and yeah, you can't chase all of those possible realities at the same time. Yeah. As much as you want to, because you also want to try and evolve and change and try different things. And it, yeah. you need to leave, the thing is that you need to leave yourself room to be able to experiment and to try new things and to be comfortable with what you're creating, but also produce something consistent i think that's really the biggest challenge for an artist is to be both consistent and experimental at the same time it's kind of quite hard not a lot of people have mastered that i don't think particularly well let's talk about your work so can you please describe your work for those who may not have seen it yeah um so i am a contemporary figure painter um and more specifically i do painted collages which means I layer scenes over one another. So often I'll go out and paint a landscape and then I'll go into the studio and layer in a figure. Um, and I try to do this in a really subtle way so that the final result is, looks like a coherent scene, like one scene when in fact it's two three four five scenes put over one another um and this produces a sort of dreamlike vague displacement hmm. um and that's the sort of work that i'm making now i absolutely adore your work it's exactly the kind of what i love like it's really the kind of like i love and I interviewed somebody fairly similar-ish to the point that I was a bit like, should I be doing this interview? Because it's quite similar. But I'm also like, no, because I like to see how different you actually are to other people. Just because your work may be similar doesn't mean it's the same. Some I've also learned. But it's interesting to me because it's the work I absolutely adore. This idea of mystery, intrigue, people, landscapes, a mixture of both. You don't quite know what you're looking at. You're not too sure if it's real, if it's not real. I love that yeah. kind of work because it gives me such a chance to be able to be part of the work which is why i did that kind of work you know and i think that's what's really to me really interests me um but just as a general before i get into kind of my own thoughts about the work or at least here and there like are there any particular themes and questions that you are exploring within the work itself i'm really interested in dreams and and memory um and how 
like I think that people are largely ruled by their by frankly their memories because all you know of your life is what you remember happening hmm. and at the same time memory is kind of this murky sort of inaccurate recollection of what happened hmm. um like my memories are always really fragmented like I'll remember you know how 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 a table or a doorway looked somewhere but I won't remember at all where it was or like who was with me but I'll remember really liking you know that doorway and I just think it's it's really interesting that you know your understanding of your life is based off of something that is so sort of rickety and and unpredictable and I mean more broadly I'm I'm really interested in yeah a sense of mystery um and I think that you know, when you say everything in a painting, you kind of kill it. Um, yeah. A lot of that is is how I was taught, you know, the school that I went to. Um, but we were taught, you know, don't paint like a photograph, paint like how you see. Um, because the human eye sees through layers and layers of, of understanding and, and memory and, um, you know, your uh, your lineage like your family tree and history and all of these things and and a camera is kind of a very it's a different tool um and you can you can produce really beautiful work with a camera but it's not the same it doesn't see like how the human eye sees so you shouldn't hmm. paint you know how 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 a photo looks um so so in that sense yeah trying to maintain a sense of mystery and not not saying everything uh in a painting and I I kind of think of mystery as sort of um, a doorway into the viewer's sort of desires and and secrets and and their own memories. Um, and so I think if you if you paint with this understanding that you're you're intentionally leaving certain things out, then you in turn make work that leaves room for the viewer to kind of lose themselves there. Um, and I think, you know, everybody, myself included, we all, you know, in order to live in civilized society, you have to, you have to bury certain things and you have to, you know, present a certain front in order to be successful. And I think that art is one of the places where we are really encouraged to get in touch with those things. It's like probably the only place unless you're talking about intimate relationships. But, you know, a lot of life is about work and putting food on the table and just trying to survive. And like art is kind of this sacred place where people can go and just kind of sit and enjoy something. Um, and so I try to I try to keep that in mind when I'm painting. I try to keep the viewer in mind and, and leave room for them. If that's such an interesting way to put it. I think that's such an interesting way to put it because it's like, you're right. Art enables people to dive into the deeper parts of themselves, to kind of understand themselves, to kind of allow people to self-reflect in a way that a lot of other mediums don't necessarily because like you're applying yourself and your time. Like every single piece of your work is a document of your time spent on it. You know, it's your history. It becomes part of you, whether you think about that that way or not. Like that's interesting actually to think of it that way. Do you think there are any themes that art can't explore? Um, no, I don't. Um, 
because I think art is a window into yourself and the self is infinite. So even if an artist isn't aiming to to explore a certain theme, you can spontaneously bring that up inside of someone else. And so that you have sort of yeah. explored that in a sense. So I think, yeah, I think the possibilities are really endless. Yeah, and also I think because you're never fully in control, well, you're never in control of what people feel about your work or how your work is uh, perceived by others, that the people may find themes in your work that you didn't even think about or that you're not even uh, registering because the whole point is that, and the great thing about art personally, the great thing about art, not personally, the great thing about art is that it's personal. Like people relate to it on a level very differently to say, the same with music, people relate to it on a very different level than they would with just the, the world of world. It becomes more about the psyche and the mind and about thoughts and feelings and kind of like, as I always say, it's, it's you know, it's the um, externalization of the internal, you know. And I think that's really um, helpful for people just to, for both the artist as the person creating it, but also as people viewing it, being able to have a space in which they can share their thoughts and emotions and opinions and uh, kind of fears and frustrations through looking at art as well. I think looking at art is also just as powerful as creating it or there is definitely like a dynamic there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I thought oh, I was just like write a little bit about your work. Nothing crazy. But I put, so like, so just as like notes for her and I keep, I feel like I read people's notes as if like they're essays and they're not. Um, so I put like <laughs> yeah. dreamlike, liminal and elusive. I put paintings that are as foggy as the memories they portray. The work invokes a sense of displacement because I think for me, like that's exactly what your work feels like. It feels like, I feel like I said this, I said this in the last episode with somebody else's work, but it's kind of true. It's a work I kind of gravitate towards. So that's why I'm very aware that I, when I see an artist, I, I, I love their work. I'm like, I really want to talk to this person. There's a reason that all these artists are quite similar. I'm like, this is the work I gravitate towards too. But it's like, I love the fact that it's just so, it's, it seems so bizarre, but there's a reason for things. Like it, it might seem like, oh, this makes no sense, but there's a purpose for everything. And I love that. It's like, it's almost like a finely crafted world that I'm looking at like and they, you have these characters who play certain roles in certain places and certain scenarios that to me might seem very odd and strange but to you it makes sense like and I'm kind of curious like is your work autobiographical yeah that's a good question I think it's autobiographical in the sense that the subject matter comes from my immediate surroundings like the landscape and you know my friends or people that I see uh out and about that I just happen to take a picture of but I'm not necessarily it's not autobiographical in the sense of trying to tell my own story and I think there's a there's a sort of disconnect with like kind of what people perceive art to be and what it what it is or what the artist is trying to do like usually what I'm doing is like working with shapes and like a painting to me is always just about an arrangement of shapes. So, you know, I'll paint one layer or one scene and then I'll kind of go through my mental Rolodex of things that I want to paint and I'll find something that works with that composition. And then it's kind of like a puzzle. And then I just continue to layer things into the scene until it clicks and then once it clicks, it's done. But and so it's autobiographical in the sense that all those elements that I'm working with are from my environment. But I'm not necessarily trying to tell a story. I'm trying to paint a 
a painting that works, you know, visually. See, that's interesting. So I feel like storytelling probably does play, for me at least, like a central role in your work. I feel like there is a sense of like, there is a story there. It's almost like the work is a puzzle for the viewer to figure out. Yeah. Like there's there are elements because like I've always kind of wondered, and is this a premature question? It's probably a premature question. But I've always wondered about like the characters in your work in terms of like, who are they? Yeah, they're just like people. I try, I think they're they're just everyday people, my friends, like hanging out and having a smoke, or you yeah. know, somebody hanging out outside of a bar, or someone in the middle of a, a good conversation, or you know, having a beer. Um, I I think that there's a lot of beauty in the everyday. So I'm I'm really drawn to like little intimate everyday scenes um and i think there's so much to be to be taken and like understood and seen from those little moments like it doesn't have to be really grand you know like you can just hmm. see someone talking on their telephone or something and there's like so much in their the way they stand and their posture and um so yeah i think the characters are just they're just people they're just the people that I'm surrounded with in my life that I love and I take pictures of. But I found that really interesting you say that because the way you paint them, they almost become renderings of people. They're not actually like perfectly fleshed out. They're like these kind of almost like ghostly imprints of people. Yeah. Which is what I find interesting because like you could very much question like, are you looking at a person? Or are you looking at like, the memory of a person or the form of a person or like the impression of a person you know which is what I love about the work because the work is very ambiguous and it's very like is it isn't it you know I like that yeah I like the idea also of like hidden hidden figures you know or how you can you can drop something in the dead center of a canvas and it's Mm. the last thing that someone sees Mm. and I think that that's really interesting and I think painters are always, you're always kind of looking to like hold the viewer's attention. Um, And so I think that, yeah, hiding things or like making little mysteries or like leaving a secret in the painting is a really good way to like, to hold people's attention and and kind of um, inspire their own, you know, experience with the art. It's kind of interesting because I feel like your work, and I hope you don't remember saying this, but I feel like your work almost has like a slightly sinister edge. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it, it kind of seems like, not dark in the way of like, oh, it's really dark, but it kind of has like this weird kind of like eerie sinister edge. Because you said about, you know, people drinking, people, you know, hanging out at bars and talking on the telephone, but it's like jovial activities, but with a sinister edge. that every day, but kind of transformed into these kind of slightly nightmarish, very kind of, almost kind of like, bizarre states they're almost like rather than being like scenes they're almost like states they're almost like a state of mind you're looking at the scene through like somebody who is like drunk maybe or somebody who is like half asleep or you know i don't know like this yes. idea obviously you have an image called i should have wrote down because I, and i didn't um sedated girl summer and it's like the idea of like being sedated or kind of being almost in this kind of trance like state or not really knowing where you are like i don't know if that's intentional on your part but it kind of gives me the the kind of vibe of like you know, I would kind of question like, who exactly, whose eyes are we exactly looking for in your work? Yeah, that's a really good question. I don't know that I have the answer. <laughs> hmm. uh, and um, 
yeah it's it definitely is like sinister and dark but in a in like a subtle way people will say that a lot um and it's like i don't go into it being like oh i'm gonna make this creepy thing but Mm. like we finish it and it's like oh yeah okay yeah that's good (laughs) yeah i don't know i think they're it might be because there's like maybe something inherently sinister or foreboding about being displaced Hmm. in general, you know, like people don't like to feel like they don't know where they are. Um, And in that way, you know, there's, there's something scary about, about dreams um, because you don't, you don't really know where you are or what's going to happen. And like, I think that sense of loss of control just breeds a sense of like unease like uncertainty because it's uncharted territory um so that might be a part of it and i think it may be another part of why the work is sinister is because i really like to work with darks like i really love Hmm. like a really dark dim scene um Hmm. i don't always paint them but um you know nighttime displacement (laughs) are two things that are probably pretty unsettling for like everyone so yeah Absolutely. Like, absolutely. Like, I really, really, really agree with that. You get so, like, the idea of, like, loss of control, that's such an interesting way to kind of consider, like, an interesting lens to look at your work, though. Because it's so true, like, the sense of displacement of, like, you don't know what you're looking at or who you're meant to be whilst you're looking at these scenes or, like, who anybody else is, for that matter, because no one really looks quite right. And actually, yeah, I'll ask you this now, actually. So, one thing I'm very curious of in in, in any artist's work, especially people like yourself, is that, like, artistic reality. I'm always kind of interested in the idea of like, what kind of reality are you trying to portray through your work? Uh, what kind of reality? I think the reality of, of well, okay, so a reality is an interesting word because it's like our dreams and memories, a reality. But I mean, mm-hmm. internally they are, I think, for everyone. Um, so I think I'm trying to depict, yeah, sort of a dreamlike state. Um, and again, sort of depicting that as a, as an attempt to like, allow the viewer to connect with what's inside of them. And I don't think that it's, I don't think that I'm trying to depict the same world in every painting. Like, I don't think Mm. that all my paintings are from the same world. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, I like to reuse certain elements or like I'll I'll reuse my drawings in paintings um like I'll I'll put the same figure in another painting um but it doesn't mean that there's necessarily a through line um and I think yeah. that's part of the ambiguity of it is just creating this sort of destabilized reality that we all have inside yeah, that was actually going to be like one of my next questions, the idea of like a through line through the work or like recurring characters or the idea of like, do they all coexist together? Um, but I think, because I think the idea of like, because the way you paint is really interesting, which is really what, which really what draws me is that it's not realistic, but it's also not so abstract that you don't know what it is. It kind of sits in like, I, there's an interview I did with the artist with Mark Thompson and he called it the netherworld between the real and the abstract. And I feel like your yeah. work sits in there perfectly. It's the kind of work I absolutely adore. I have so many artists to send you that do similar kind of work, which is like, it's very bizarre because it's like, it's real, but it's also completely not real at the same time. But it's not surrealism, but it's also not abstract. It's kind of like this weird, interesting middle ground between like things that make sense, but they also they don't make any sense. And I love that. Yeah. So yeah, like, and your work kind of fits into this kind of like netherworld where it's like, 
we recognize the places and we recognize the people, but we also have no idea who they are. It's strangely familiar, but not in a way that we know. It's weird. It's really interesting. I just absolutely adore it. I think it's so fascinating. Thank you. Yeah, I think, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. This like netherworld concept. I think I, I grew up kind of looking at the major surrealist painters mm. like Dolly and yeah. Magritte and all those guys, yes. you know, and they sort of, um, they, they build these really weird scenarios that like wouldn't happen, you know, like a toy train coming out of a wall, like Magritte yeah. has a painting like that. And it's like, you know, it's, it's, or, or they build, you know, like Dolly will build these like really insane dreamscapes that are like not founded in reality at all. Um, but then they have these other works that sit in that field that you were just talking about. Like Magritte has this painting of it's a landscape and it's really just a view of a little clearing of trees and you're kind of looking at it from afar and there's a blue sky. And I remember my art teacher putting this up and he said, well, so what's what's the deal with this painting? Like, why is this surreal? And we all looked at it and we couldn't answer it. And the answer is that the trees are painted in a nighttime scene. So like they're really dark. And then there's this little orange like lantern glowing. But above the trees, there's this bright blue sky. And it's like, this is why it's sort of like, it is surreal because those two things don't go together. But because it's so subtly done, it makes you want to come back to it and look at it again. And so I think that what I'm interested in is not necessarily like pure surrealism like you said but more how minutely do you have to move the dial of reality to make it a little off you know Mm -hmm. like if I can move reality one degree to the left like what does that produce rather than just like building this entirely new like alien world that like Mm -hmm. has nothing to do with earth or people like I'm interested in that little that little spot in between where it's like it is reality but it's not and like how how to what like what's the tiniest degree that i can like shift things to make it a little off yeah like that's the thing i, I absolutely love that i think it's, and also like that image by magritte is such a good image as well by the way it's just such a good image it's a really because it's a really interesting concept where like you can't quite tell what's wrong with it but you know something's wrong with it it's almost like this weird kind of like subtle like as you said earlier, like unease, that like you're looking at it and you're feeling a bit uneasy because you're a bit like, I can't figure out what's up with this. And then when you see yeah. it, you're like, how did I not ever, how did I not see that? Yeah, yeah, it's like so obvious, but it's not. Yeah. So it's interesting because as you said earlier, like you mix kind of like like plein air painting with then using photographs later on. Like, how did that method of working come about? Um, yeah. Well, So the way that I was trained in school was like classical formal training. So like we were always painting from life. Nothing was ever from a photo. Um, And that went for, you know, figure training. It was true for still lives and it was true for landscapes. Um, And I was really, really fortunate to have that really solid basis of education. So because of that, after I graduated the school, I spent a few years 
just doing plain air uh, because I love landscapes and I was only painting them from life. Um, and I was kind of living in my car and traveling around the country and like my easel was in my car, you know? And so the only place that I had to set up was really outside. <laughs> and yeah. so I made this like series of, you know, paintings outside and across the country. Um, so that was really like solidly how I painted for like three or four years. And then in 2021, I went on this trip by myself to the desert and I painted the uh, kind of the canyon where I was staying. It was in the desert in Utah and there were these weird kind of creepy, like tall red cliffs. Um, the desert in Utah, if you ever get to go, you should go to Utah because it's like absolutely insane. Utah's like on my list of the place. It's like being underwater except you're on land. It's really weird. <laughs> interesting explanation. That's such an interesting description. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I painted that scene and then I came home and I had, you know, I'm always keeping mental note of little things that I like that I want to paint later on, like, like, like the awning in my neighbor's yard, you know, or like the grocery store, the little corner where they sell like the firewood, you know, like this is, this is already kind of a fragmentary way of thinking, but like, I always have this stock of images that I want to paint and so I came home and I don't know why I did it but I painted the um the local railroad in my town which is it's like an abandoned train and it's a museum um but so I painted that sort of abandoned train and it was I put it in front of the canyon that I had painted I put it just like right into the painting and I I painted it from life I just set up that same painting of the canyon in front of the train and painted the train into it uh and then I put this little light in the window like as if the window of the train as if the sky was coming through it but the canyon was behind it and so it has this weird kind of like surreal displaced feeling to it um and that one actually ended up getting into like southwest art the 21 Um, under 31 that they do uh 21 artists to collect now um so that was super lucky and like cool that that ended up happening um but that was the first painting that i did where i layered scenes over each other um and then i think that that moment sort of coincided with my feeling like, okay, now I can maybe start to like really work from photo references. Like maybe I've worked from life long enough that I'm okay with working from photos because like I understand visually what's happening with a camera a little bit better um, where I can like sort of detect how reality would actually look and like make that difference in my painting. I try to do that. It's very hard. Mm. Um, But yeah, those two moments kind of happened at the same time. And then And then it was winter and I couldn't go outside. So I was just in my studio and I just started messing around with like layering photo images over each other. And that's kind of how that, that whole thing started. So the thing that I find really interesting about that and about you is that that's quite a big skill to have because you can paint from life, you can paint from photographs, you can make portraits and you can paint landscapes all very well. And I think that's actually quite a lot of skill because at the end of the day, like, you see some artists who are only good at one of those four things or maybe like two of those four things, not everything. That's actually really interesting actually, because it's like, 
yeah because you because you don't just layer like landscapes together you layer people and landscapes like that's really interesting to me yeah it is um yeah i think it's because i was lucky enough to go to the academy of fine arts in new orleans and the founder there you know he was always saying like back in my day you had to be able to paint landscapes and figures and still lifes and now everybody asks well what kind of painter are you are you a landscape artist or a figurative artist or a still life artist and it's like well you should really have all of those um you should really have all of those skills and I think I was lucky enough to learn with like really really solid artists at that school um who were like kind of at the top of their craft in terms of what they you know, whether they were teaching portrait or or figures or still life. Um, and it, it, it's sort of really sad that, that this is the direction that, that painters are being sort of pigeonholed into of like picking one. Mm. Um, because I feel like learning how to paint is kind of like learning a language. So to me, it's like if you only are taught how to paint a landscape it's like learning spanish without learning how to conjugate any of the verbs yeah. you know like you're missing this whole really important aspect of the visual field like i think if you're going to learn to paint it's it's really wonderful to learn how to like it's what you're really learning is the the capacity to paint something that's in front of you and like ideally someone that comes out of like an atelier study program you can give them a canvas and give them three colors like you really only need the primaries then you can make any color in black and white and you put an object in front of them like it could be a basketball or it can be a tree and they paint it how it looks and like that's you should really come out of school with that skill set of like whatever somebody puts in front of you you can paint um I don't know that I'm really there but I think that the school that I went to like that's that was their philosophy. And I think that that's really beautiful because then you learn the language and then you can say whatever you want. You know, you can, you can say any sentence you want, like metaphorically, you know, if you're going to learn a language, you should learn to say anything. Uh, And that's really what being fluent is. So I think, yeah, it's, it's worthwhile to like learn all the things. Yeah. That's actually a really good point because I think, I think the problem is also because like in your career you're kind of always pigeonholed into choosing one thing or like being like a certain kind of painter or people just are afraid to to fail and to be bad at something you know if you're a really amazing landscape painter and you paint them really really well and you want to paint portraits but you're terrible at painting portraits that's absolutely fine like there's nothing wrong with that you're not going to be great at everything but I think a lot of people are just quite scared to fail to be honest yeah yeah I think failing is a really big part of uh being an artist like making bad art for like years and years and years and years (laughs) like and then getting kind of good and then still half of the stuff you make you're not really happy with like that's something that you just kind of have to like live with um and I mean I think there's a an aspect of like you can teach yourself a lot too. Hmm. Um, like I still feel very shaky with figures. So that's interesting that you said that they sort of all seem at the same level of competency. Like that's really exciting because I feel like 
painting figures is really, 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 really hard. And like, I've started studying, um, like I have this like coffee table book by Bougereau. He's like an old, uh, like, uh, 19th century painter, uh, really, really good figure painter. Like you look at his paintings and you feel like you're sitting in front of the person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I started to do in the last few weeks was like, I bring the book into the studio and then when I'm painting a figure, I try to find one of his paintings where the light is kind of similar to the figure that I'm painting. And then I just Mm -hmm. literally mix the color on my palette of like the cheekbone of the figure in Bougereau's painting. And then I like drop it onto the actual paper. Like I, like I put the brush stroke onto the painting as it's printed in the book and then I wipe it off and I do it again and again and again until it matches. And then once it matches, I put it on my painting on the figure's cheekbone and then I just like slowly move in that direction. Um, So anyway, there's a, there's a good bit of like self teaching. I think that, that you can do and, and I don't know. Um, but yeah, it is a lot about being like being bad at something for a long time. I think for a long time I was really bad at figures and now I'm like sort of okay. But uh, yeah, it's a lot of trial and error. But the things that you're willing to progress and you're willing to try, I think that's half the battle. It's willing to be able to put the time in and be like, I'm not going to be good at this straight away. It's not going to be perfect. You know, because I think, as we said earlier, like you can peak too soon. Like I have a a very good artist friend and she's incredible what she does absolutely incredible what she does and she is one of these artists who she's very like a natural art she'll create these beautifully detailed paintings that people absolutely adore and she has like a lot of followers and like she's kind of like quite quite a success story but where'd you go from that because if people are looking at your work straight out of the bat being like this is the best thing ever where'd you go from that it's kind of hard to figure out like you don't know yourself as an artist yet because you've only just started within say the last two years and people are loving your work so much that it's like you already have already you've boxed yourself in before you've even had time to know who you are it's kind of like you need i feel like every artist needs at least like five years of just creating work whether people see it or not yeah to understand who they are because i think the problem is that we have this is definitely very premature but we have so much pressure from social media to always be constantly doing something that people are always watching what you're doing when it's like sometimes you just need to create without people ever seeing it just so you develop skills just so you develop your own tastes and opinions about your own work i think that's the problem we have is that we're always not always but i think a lot of the times we think about other people before you think about yourself in terms of when you're creating work yeah yeah it's true and that that reminds me like there's this quote and i can't remember who said it but it's it's essentially that like your taste is what moves you forward like Mm. and and keeps you like continuing to make work um so if you have good taste and you're making art that doesn't live up to that you keep moving forward and like just because you're not satisfied with what you're making now it's that's really just because you have good taste and you just have to keep like making what you consider to be bad art until you get to where hopefully you get to where you're making what you consider good art um that's a whole other situation but yeah like I think there's a lot to be said for that and 
And the nice thing with painting too is that it's so it's never permanent. Like you can always go over something. Like mm -hmm. I think about the sculptors, and it's like my God, like you can't mess it up. You know, mm -hmm. like I mean, yeah. I guess you could put the clay back on, but like I, it just is such a different way of thinking. But yeah, that's a different conversation. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's you can always go over a painting. You can always start again. You can always fix something. Um, and that's really cool because life isn't like that. Like yes. You can't go back and fix anything. So. No, they definitely can't. So what does a painting do that a photograph doesn't? A photograph is something that's taken through a lens, and an eye is a much more complex contraption that sees through, like I was saying earlier, all these layers of emotion and, and history and memory and opinion and emotion and they're all sort of rolled into one and in that sense uh, each eye is different from each other eye whereas a camera lens is singular and sort of sterile so even if you were going to photograph like say a glass of water and the glass of water is in focus and the rest of it is blurred that's maybe as close as you could get to photographing something in the same way that an eye sees something. Hmm. But really, it's not the same at all. You know, I can look at a glass of water in front of me and not be paying any attention to anything else around me, but it's not going to look the same. And also, I'm, I'm thinking while I'm looking at the glass hmm. and, you know, maybe I notice something in my periphery and that triggers some kind of memory and I have all these associations with the glass of water and it's just not the same um, from an emotional standpoint and also from a, a very concrete sort of visual standpoint because what a camera does is um, it sort of compresses the value scale. So like if you think of a value scale as from black to white like pure black to pure white pure dark to pure light and then you have all these grays in between the camera is never really uh capturing exactly how dark your darkest shape yeah. is and how light the lightest shape is um and so in that sense just from a purely visual standpoint if you're going to copy a photo to the t as a painter, your value scale is going to be wrong. And I think that that's why painting directly from photos doesn't really work um, unless you you can kind of get a sense of what the photo is depicting and, and stand in front of it and sort of like try to remember the value scale and the color scale before you take the photo and before you go in the studio and paint it. Um, but yeah, they're really just not the same thing. Um, the camera is a very convenient tool and I'm, I'm very grateful to have it, um, because it has allowed me to like, be able to paint things that I never could have painted if I had to paint them from life, you know, like interesting little snapshots of people doing things that you can't necessarily ask a model to pose. Um, so in that sense, it's really, really great. Um, but it's not, it's really not the same as painting from life. And it's, it doesn't capture things the way the human eye does. Would you ever actually arrange like a photo shoot 
for your models or for people to model for you for your work? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I have <laughs> not done that. But I have friends who do it. I have really good painter friends who, uh, Shane and Sarah Scribner, and they fly models out to their studio a lot and like create these sort of really cool scenarios and um, photograph them and paint them. Actually, I am going to be doing that, I think, for the first time with them in a few weeks. Um, so there's this call for Fine Art Connoisseur magazine for uh, paintings of artists painting artists. And so the three of us, like, we hang out a lot and we paint a lot together. And so we're going to do that and we're going to submit to the magazine. Um, so that will probably be my first time, like, formally arranging a photo shoot. Um, and we're going to buy like neon glow sticks and then hang out at night and like photograph each other outside <laughs> with them, uh, and paint those and do like a little mini series of each other, like artists painting artists. Um, but yeah, I haven't, I like, I just don't know what I would stage. Um, and I think the way that my work is you know, it helps if it's not staged and it helps if the person doesn't really necessarily know that they're being photographed. Um, like I'll be hanging out with my friends at a party and then I'll just like take a picture of, you know, because, because people change, you know, you can say, I'm going to take a photo act natural, but then everyone's all of a sudden like changing their posture. Absolutely. So yes. Yeah. Yes. As a, uh, and as I a really photographer, know. I can attest to that. Absolutely. As soon as you take your camera out, people stare at you, um, or they yes. walk away. One of the two. Yeah. Um, it's always a way because as soon as you know there's a camera there, you're very conscious that there's a, a like a, a different kind of presence in like the room. Like it's totally. yeah, like yeah, yeah. So would you say that like the adding figures to your landscape? Would you say that's more intuitive then? That it's intuitive. Hmm. Um. Yeah, I think I add figures into a landscape. One, because it's like a really good point of contact for people, like what we were talking about earlier, where it's like, this is the the thing that's going to like kind of draw people in, in a way. Um, not that landscapes on their own can't draw people in, but I just, I like to use people in that way. Um, and then it's also just a matter of, of, yeah, shape and color and like adding yeah, I don't know why I started adding figures into landscapes, actually. But I just, I don't know. I like the idea of, of like, painting the everyday and, like, painting these little moments. And so I think it just gradually, once I uh, got, like, competent at painting landscapes, I thought, okay, now I can try the figure. Um, but it's it's a struggle. It's very, very hard to do. Um, and I think I was intimidated by figures for a long time. And I think that's why I painted landscapes for so long and kind of avoided the figure. Um, yeah. It's probably why when you paint figures, they're not perfectly fleshed out. They're not perfectly realistic because you're still on your yeah. journey to creating them in a way that's kind of uh that you find like suitable or you find i was gonna say acceptable not acceptable that you find um comfortable so i think because yeah. of that it's like it's i don't i don't want to say easier because it's not really easier but it's 
more comfortable for you to paint in a style that's a lot more looser that allows you the space in which to build up the skill of creating more realistic images because that way you don't have yeah. it's not like you have to out the gate make sure that you everything's like perfectly rendered and that it's like hyper real it's, that's not your work at all and because you've given yourself kind of that space and that permission to be loose it gives you the opportunity to work in a way that's more comfortable to you rather than being like forcing yourself to create work that you are just not competent in creating right now yeah exactly yeah I think I kind of make it a little vague because I don't feel like I have the tools yet to like make it exactly rendered Hmm. um whereas like with landscape I feel a lot more comfortable like putting details in if I want to in a painting but with figures it's a lot harder like I'm still building that skill up I think that's also kind of weirdly a strength in your work the fact that it's not perfect and it's not beautiful and it's not detailed and it's not like hyper real I think that's for me personally at least that's what draws me to it like I love this fact that it's just also like it's also just strange you're like what is this I'm looking at it's like this bizarre kind of like dreamscape where you're like is it as I said to somebody the other day like is it like a like a misremembered dream is it like you know for you know you kind of a hazy memory like are you like intoxicated whilst looking at this you know it's kind of like it's like how are you meant to feel looking at this work or how you meant to feel being within this world like as you said earlier like it's, yeah I like that I think the fact that that's the case is I think that's actually really nice because it gives the viewer like an entryway into the work it's not like oh this is a really lovely landscape that painted so well right and that's it yeah <laughs> yeah so i'm actually really curious about the balance between the figure and the landscape like do you consider one of them to be more of a focal point in your work and like how do you figure out the composition when both figures and landscapes are involved right um yeah that's a good question um i think i'm still always coming at it from a perspective of is this going to be a good painting vis-a-vis like are the shapes fitting together and are the colors working and is it like a solid composition um and composition is something that sort of exists outside of subject matter like I remember my teacher in art school he would ask like you know why make a painting or what's a good painting and we all had these like kind of grandiose sort of like long-winded answers and he was like no like a painting is not a vehicle for like you to transmit your ideas or to like make political statement or any of these things like a painting is an arrangement of shapes mm-hmm. and like what it comes down to is does the arrangement of shapes please the eye and like the subject matter is secondary and I remember hearing that and being like, no, 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 no. Like you can transmit all these ideas with a painting. But now I now I kind of work in that sense of the subject matter is secondary to whether or not the shapes work. So yeah, in terms of deciding to layer figures into into landscapes, I think I did that. Well, I got I got to where I was comfortable with landscapes and now I'm sort of like toying with adding figures in. Um, but it's still really just an exercise of practicing layering shapes. Um, and if you think about it from like a really rudimentary standpoint, a landscape is horizontal and a figure is often vertical. And so yeah. then you have these two like sort of um, you have these two angles that you're like almost guaranteed to have. 
when you have a landscape with a figure and that makes the composition a little more interesting uh whereas you know if you're painting like an entirely horizontal landscape it's harder to make a complex composition with that um so i kind of am coming at it from that from that standpoint and like building my composition off of that axis of like horizontal and vertical that comes from the the landscape and the figure oh that's interesting i've never thought about that actually that's an interesting consideration that's such a good consideration because like it's true like particularly the way in which your eye will hover around the image because there is people involved or because there is landscapes involved or like the way your eye picks up on certain things and certain colors and certain moods um, and just also like the use of space, like negative space and positive space and filling space and having no space. And then, you know, the landscapes themselves being like these weird, strange, empty places. So like, that's kind of interesting because I think one thing that I'm always interested in, just in my own work in general, is the idea of space and how, which in the way in which we utilize and kind of, you, yeah, I guess just use space. It's really interesting, actually. Um, but yeah, that's interesting, actually, the idea of like axis and X and Y and the idea of like horizontal and vertical. That's actually really interesting. I'm going to be thinking about that now for a while because I'm like, that's such a good point. Because <laughs> yeah. when you think about it, it is just lines. Like, that's really interesting. Yeah. That's so interesting. So, uh, yeah. So I want to also ask you, actually, yeah, that's it. So do you consider, like, the landscape to be a character in your work? Oh, to be a character. Um, hmm. I feel like this the idea of a character is like sort of foreign like i don't feel like i think in terms of characters hmm. um but i do i feel like certain scenes evoke certain feelings or hmm. um moods and in that way i guess the 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 landscape if i layer the landscape in first then it sort of determines part of the mood of the painting mm. um like whether it's an evening scene or whether it's a daylight scene or you know neon light from a bar or something like that like it does sort of start to dictate the feeling of the painting so in that way i feel like it does play a role in the in the mood of the the overall piece at the end yeah so I put here uh, a sense of longing and escape. Images of the open road and desolate places always give me the sense of running from and running to something. So I love this idea of like, I think it's American. I think it's Americana as well. I think that plays a large role, which I want to talk to you about in a second. But this idea of like wide open spaces, this idea of like being in the middle of nowhere and kind of like trying to figure out, are you going somewhere or are you running from something? And I kind of look at your work and it gives me the sense of like, which is why I a character a lot. Like who are these people and why are they in this environment and why are they in such like, random strange open spaces like what kind of landscapes are you actually drawn to and are, are there any of the kind of types of landscapes that you want to to use in your work in the future i think yeah there is a lot of a lot of that is also being in really rural places because i was working on farms um mm -hmm. and so yeah i think there is this feeling of um of sort of displacement there uh and like not feeling um not knowing where you belong yeah. also yeah yeah. Um, yeah my parents are immigrants and they immigrated to the u.s from uh the netherlands when i was a baby wow. Wow. um so i like yeah i grew up in the u.s with with dutch parents and so there's this wow. always this wow. feeling of like 
kind of straddling these two realities and like never being fully in one. Like I still feel sort of like, like I'm not American, but I am. And I'm, I'm not Dutch, but I am. And like, I think that that's, uh, that's just sort of like something that I hear a lot of first generation immigrants say, especially like kids that are raised by people who just like pick themselves up out of their country and like moved somewhere else. Like you, you're always living in this sort of doorway and like, you never feel like you're in one room or the other. And so like that probably, that probably comes through. Um, and then in terms of like, like you asked what, uh, what, what, what subjects I want to be painting in the future. Um, I mean, it's not strictly a landscape, but right now I'm sort of interested in churches um, mm-hmm. because <laughs> so I, I I don't know. I just think churches are really interesting. And I came across this really uh, beautiful, like kind of architectural drawing of a church uh, recently. And I just I think churches are interesting because they well, I shouldn't say churches, more like cathedrals, like large scale, like like monuments of architecture that were built like centuries ago it's kind of like more of a european concept than an american concept but um i think it's interesting because there are so many of them and people are like statistically leaving religion in large numbers now and so it's kind of like what are we going to do with these like big structures if they're not going to be able to be like used for religion anymore um and there's just something really interesting about like the scale of like standing in a really tall sort of like awe-inspiring cathedral that like people just built and i think there's something really like beautiful about that scale and then like figuring out how to fit that scale into another scene feels mm-hmm. like a really mm-hmm. cool challenge for me Okay, so you said so many interesting things there, like so many interesting things. I was writing notes as you were talking, and I was like, oh. So the first thing that you said, doorways, you said the idea of like feeling like you're like you're in a doorway in the middle of two rooms. Like that's such a lovely analogy. Like it's actually why I love, it sounds really weird, but I think windows and doorways are really fascinating to me because this idea of like, it's such a divide between two very distinct things. Same as like stairs. Stairs are like the limbo of two parts of a house. It's like, Stuff like that really fascinate me. This kind of middle meeting ground of like two very distinct separate entities or places and kind of like what we can uh, experience whilst we're existing in this kind of middle, almost purgatory kind of state. And um, that like really interests me. And like your use of the word doorway, it's such an interesting kind of analogy and reference. And I, I just typed here, like how important is like, sim- like symbology and metaphor in your work? Like, is that something you're actively trying to evoke in people? Right. That's a really interesting question. Um, I, I don't think that I'm actively trying to, like, put symbols into my work. Um, but... I do think that like that symbols are really important and I really admire painters who do that. Like hmm. uh Bo Bartlett, do you know his work? I don't think so. He's a really famous like American painter and he does these really like archetypal compositions. Um 
Yeah, it's Bo, B-O, and then Bartlett, B-A-R-T-L-E-T-T. Um, and his his paintings are always kind of like these frozen snapshots of like of like Americana. Um, and he he's like really inspired by Norman Rockwell, who like mm. is kind of like one of the inventors of Americana, I feel. But yeah. Yeah. um but they have this like really dark also like sense of mystery. And you can tell that like what he's, you know, the, the, the objects that he's putting in the paintings, like he works with like guns a lot, like rifles and like, kind of like this sort of archetype of like the patriarchy and like the, the American like family when like, yeah, it's just very interesting. So I admire that uh, a lot. And I think it's really hard to do in a way that isn't like trite and like mm. forced. Uh, and I think that's why I have avoided that um, sort of like putting symbols in to my paintings for the sake of like having a symbol. Um, but I think you're right, like doorways and windows and it's it's almost like you, you look at it and you're like, you can't look at it without seeing the metaphor of like what yeah. it stands for. And so it's like a really powerful thing to use in a painting and I it's it's sort of intimidating so I think that's why I've avoided like consciously doing that yeah because even stuff like churches like churches like obviously just for me my personal opinion I think churches are really interesting because they're like places of sanctuary they're places that people go to feel like a certain way but then they can also be um quite how do I put this without offending people they can be quite enclosing because religion can also be quite an enclosing thing. You know, it can also become not cultish exactly, but it can become something other than what it originally was. And like, I don't know, I think just this idea of like, I mean, you don't have to. And I think also you don't really have a say as well as an artist creating work. Because again, going back to what I said earlier, you can't control how people are going to view your work. But I feel like it's always interesting to kind of consider like the metaphor of what you're painting, particularly somebody like yourself, because your work is so ambiguous. And you might not necessarily have the context of your work like when people are looking at it. Because if people are looking at Instagram, they they might not see, I don't know how much you necessarily write about the work itself, but they might not necessarily understand it or they might not necessarily look at what you're writing about it. And I kind of, actually, now I said that, I kind of guess like, why is it important or is it important for you to create ambiguous work? So are you asking about ambiguous ambiguity in terms of uh like like the actual content and subject matter of the painting or the meaning behind it the well i guess both really just the idea of like creating work that is ambiguous generally that that kind of allows the viewer to kind of put themselves into it but also you're not really giving anything away yeah okay that makes sense um i think that I think that historically we're sort of on this trajectory of making ambiguous work. Mm. Um, like I was saying earlier, how art used to be this like really specific. Uh, and now with the invention of camera, that's no longer needed. Um, and so I feel like I'm making ambiguous work because I can. Um, and because because I spent, you know, those years in school, like it was a very one-to-one formula. Like, okay, here's the tangerine. The tangerine is sitting on the table at 2 p.m. 
paint the tangerine sitting on the table at 2 p.m. Don't mess it up, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. and it was like years of this, which was really beautiful and necessary. Um, but I left the school and I felt kind of like. I, I want to make something a little more interesting. Um, yeah. And because of the time that I'm living in, I can. And for whatever reason, this ambiguity thing is just really interesting to me. Uh, or, you know, the memory dreamscape scenario is really interesting to me. Um, but I also feel like, you know, no one makes art in a vacuum. Hmm. And I'm on social media. And my algorithm has sort of figured out, I guess, what kind of paintings I make and then presents me with similar painting or, you know, has figured out what kind of paintings I like when I scroll through and then it feeds me similar ones. And so, you know, despite whatever I would like to be exposed to, I'm being exposed to this increasingly narrowing visual field of images like every other painter with a smartphone today and um because of that i think that that has sort of moved the needle on what i want to create or think i want to create or can create and some of that is good and some of that is not um but i say all that to say like i think i'm making ambiguous work because because that's what's being done today and i'm an artist today um it's, it wasn't, you know, my idea and it wasn't really anybody else's idea. It's just kind of what's happening now. Um, and I think it's like fun and interesting to participate in that. Um, and, you know, who knows, who knows what we're going to be doing in 500 years or whatever. Right. But right now that's kind of the, that's the art that I'm exposed to largely is, is the sort of collage dreamscape work that, that contemporary painters are doing. You ever heard of the Instagram account A Thousand Monkeys? Yeah, I love that yeah. account. <laughs> That's such a such a good account. I was gonna say like your work needs to be on that account at some point because it deserves to be there. It's such a good account. It's one of my favorite accounts that every single time they post something, I'm like, I need to figure out who this artist is and, and message <laughs> them. Um because my days are literally just like every time I open Instagram, it's literally just artist research. Like it's literally all it is. It's like I just oh, I need to stop. Um, but it's like the best thing ever because it's like <laughs> it's good because and also it's so what I like actually, what you just said. It's a, a little bit of a tangent, but what I like what you said is that you've gone to a point and you're comfortable with it as well, which is good, is that you know that when you open up social media, you're going to be fed something that you actually want to see. That's actually going to help you. That's actually going to mostly, mostly I hope, hope will motivate you to keep creating the work you're creating because you see oh, other people are making a career of it. Oh, actually, wait, did I add this to your list of people to look at? Sorry, but I just thought somebody's work. I was like, I need to send this to you. A guy called David's oh, cool. story because um, his work is about memory, but it's like, it's almost as if like you wear glasses, you take off your glasses, he paints that. So it's all like these are really blurred. Um, oh, cool. but, they're these, but they're these images of people and it's like, I almost feel like it's like looking through an old person's eyes without their glasses, looking at like their family members or something like that. Whoa. It feels like that to me. Uh, David's story. Let me add them to your list. Yeah, David. His oh, cool. work is gorgeous. Granted, it's quite similar and it's quite repetitive. But that's what I love about it. Uh, because it's like you don't know any of this you don't even know who these people are but you create stories for them it's really interesting uh, i've just put his name on your, the list let's talk about your creative process so what is your creative process like and do you have any particular routines that have you focus on creating your work hmm. yeah i 
I think like one of the most important things that helps me is in the morning before I go in the studio, I get up early, earlier than I need to. I try to, and I just sit and read. Like I'll read a book for like half an hour, an hour, um, and just have a cup of coffee. Uh, part of that is because I like am just groggy in the morning and I'm not always ready to just like jump into things. Um, and I try to, yeah, I don't look at my phone for like the first hour of the day. Um, like I put it somewhere not in my bedroom before I go to sleep. Like I just put it somewhere in my apartment and then I don't touch it when I wake up. Like I just go about my day a little bit and like, you know, do little things around the house and like read and have my coffee. Uh, and then when I'm ready, I, I go in the studio. Um, and I find that on the days that I have to like get up and go to work, my day is like, it's just different. Um, so that's like something that, that really helps me. Um, and then when I'm in the studio, generally I'm working on like four to eight paintings at a time. Like right now in my studio, I probably have like, yeah, I probably have eight paintings that are like in progress. And like some of them I haven't touched in like a few months and like the others I've worked on, you know, in the last week. Um, but yeah, I don't work in a linear way, like one canvas and then like work on that until it's done. Um, because usually I only have a threshold of like, two three hours to really get like solid work done on a painting uh and then I just start to like mess it up like I just mm. like I don't know I lose control and I just start to like make it I just like ruin it I don't know I can't explain like there's only a certain amount of time that I can work where I feel like it's productive uh and then you know but a day is long and you want to get as much done as you can so then when that canvas when I can't work on that one anymore then I just pick up whatever other paintings in the studio that's not done that I'm like ready to work on um and like yeah some of the ones that I that are in my studio right now like I haven't worked on them in six months and I'm not ready to uh -huh. like I look at them and I'm like mm. it, mm -mm, like I just can't you know and then there's other ones where I leave it and I, I'm like, it's not done, but I can't work on it right now. And I leave it for six months. And then after six months, I look at it and I'm like, oh, it's done. Like it mm. was done, but I just wasn't ready to like be done with it, which is weird. But yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, but I think my creative process is a lot about just like having a bunch of paintings going at the same time. Um, so that I don't sort of tire myself out on one painting and then just leave the studio prematurely. So that idea of like knowing, like this is I can't like I'm not working on this today, or being able to be like this is not the time. I think that's actually a really interesting way of looking at working because it's like you're very conscious of the fact that if you touch this today, you'll mess it up. Or if you work on it now, you're not in the right mind state. You're not in the right place. You're not, it's not the right, as I said earlier, like it's not the right time. It's not, it's about timing. It's not the right time. Out of the fact that because of that, you'll, you've set yourself up in a way where it's like, what else am I going to do? What else do I have time for? What else am I in the mood for? What else, you know, am I going to be able to, to work on in a way that's going to be efficient? And I'm kind of like curious about, there was a certain thing I was going to ask you and I've forgotten. Now I'm going to about to say it. What was I thinking <laughs> okay. of? 
what was I thinking of? Because that's it. So do ideas ever transfer from like one image to another? Like let's say you're going to paint, I don't know, a figure smoking in a canyon landscape. But then because you aren't working on that piece today, you kind of turn to the next piece and you're like, well, actually smoking, that's going to be like the main subject. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I I do a lot of, um, like when I have to do a detailed drawing, I do it on butcher paper, which is these like wide rolls of like paper. Uh, and then I scratch like charcoal on the back of them and then I can transfer them ah. over onto the canvas. But I save a lot of those drawings and a lot of them don't end up becoming paintings. Um, at the time when I draw them but then like sometimes if I'm kind of stuck on a painting I'll go through the drawings um and because they're transferable I can just pick one up and transfer it into the painting right away I don't have to like do the whole drawing again um, if it's the right size but yeah that sort of thing really does happen or like uh I'll be like really fixated on like you know putting a certain tree in a certain painting and then it doesn't work in that painting and then like Mm. I look around the studio and I'm like oh it could go in that other one um so that's another really nice part of like yeah leaving things uh kind of lying around the studio that I'm like visually seeing all the time but not necessarily looking at um I listen to a lot of artist interviews and there was one, I can't remember who it was, but he said, every day I go in the studio and I set up the painting that I've been working on, on the easel, but then I clean the studio. Like he sweeps his studio and he wipes everything down. And he says, while I'm doing that, I'm perceiving the image, but in my periphery. And then once I've done that, I can figure out what's wrong with it because I haven't actually like stared at it. Like you sort of Hmm. Like how you can only see a star if you look right next to it. But like if you look directly at the star, you can't really see it. Like there's a lot of that sort of like peripheral absorption of your work if you just leave it around the studio. And then like over a course of weeks or months, you sort of figure out like what's wrong with it. And then you can work on it again. Yeah, that's so that's so cool. I like that a lot. I think it's interesting. It's like some, how some artists will hang up their work in their house. So then when they're walking through the house, just doing, you know, everyday activities, you know, next to the fridge or whatever um they'll see it but then they won't notice it and then because they won't notice it they'll figure out what's wrong with it or what they need to change same as some oh, other yeah. artists say they hang their work upside down because it gives you a different perspective yeah. of your work and it makes you kind of observe all the things that are odd about it because if it doesn't look right upside down then you've got to change something when you turn it around yeah so that's yeah. really cool actually do you keep a sketchbook um i do have sketchbooks yeah um I hate drawing (laughs) Hmm. like I really drawing is like such a chore for me Um, Hmm. and I'm always kind of rushing through the drawing so I can get to the painting Um, so I do a lot of like rudimentary sketches uh, and then I get them on the canvas and then I sort of draw while I'm painting if that makes sense Um, but I do I do have a sketchbook um, and I keep like a file of sort of ideas and like concepts that I want to flesh out and um a lot of what I do in the sketchbook is also like little color mock-ups so like I'll draw Mm. little like two by two inch squares all along like a piece of sketchbook paper like I'll put like eight on a sketchbook paper um and then I'll just do little arrangements of shapes and color that I really like um 
and you know try to like when you draw something super small it's easy to see kind of the flaws in the composition um and so I do these little mock-ups and then I kind of go through the stock of like subject matter that I want to work with and try to fit it into those little mock-ups and then I can like I have a little like built-in color scheme from that mock-up to like go off of I don't know if that makes sense it's hard to explain but it makes sense but it makes me kind of wonder like how much of your work is like you making deliberate decisions and how much is it to chance because it kind of almost seems like a, a sliding scale depending on the piece yeah I think it's definitely like a lot of chance um Hmm. and because because it's each piece is sort of a rotating process of layering images into one another and like a lot of times I'll paint a whole thing and then I'll just wipe it out like I'll wipe out a whole figure or I'll wipe out a whole third of the painting um and or I'll just go over it and so because it's this rotating sort of carousel of images that I'm putting in and taking out it's really just chance when I realize or decide to be done with the painting and what you actually perceive as being the painting when really there's like eight paintings under it that like you didn't get to see because I didn't keep them in so like in that way it is a lot of chance see that's interesting for me because it makes me feel like it's almost like your work in a strange way is like a fruit machine like the way in which like where the I don't know what you call them exactly, but where the num- where the wait, I guess the screens, like where the screens stop, like that's exactly. which, yeah, it's kind of like but it's like actually no, it's like a roulette. That's probably the best way to put it. It's almost like a roulette. Like you put ideas into not even a hat or a gun, but like a hat, and then you pick one out like this. So this this canyon landscape, I don't know why I keep coming back to canyons, this canyon landscape yeah. with this cowboy with this leather jacket i don't even know Um, (laughs) trying to go for something that's not americano was basically being very american (laughs) okay (laughs) like i should have just said like an umbrella they go british perfect yeah um like and you're like hey cool these are like three separate completely strange different characteristics or elements how can i combine them in a painting that makes sense because i think that's the weird thing is that your paintings even though they make no sense they make a lot of sense like what i'm interested in actually is the fact that your paintings are very like made by chance, but they're also very deliberate. That there's a deliberation about them. There's something deliberate about them. I think that's what interests me also, because as you said, like you class images as finished. So there has to be an end point for you. Yeah. I think um yeah, that's a really good thing to be thinking about, like chance versus deliberation. Um I don't I think what is deliberate about them is the mood Mm. Um, and then the actual like physical elements of like subject matter that I'm putting in are sort of by chance. Um, But if I can sort of maintain the the mood of the specific painting that I'm making, then it retroactively makes sense no matter what I put in, because I try to like maintain the same color scheme to make it all work. Um, So I think, yeah, that's that's overall overarchingly what is deliberate is is like the feel of it and then everything else is sort of secondary what's your favorite painting you produced Hmm. like ever yeah um or at least the one that feels like it's the most successful to you as an artist 
for what you're trying to do with your work? I think the most successful painting I've done um, was in art school. It's called David in Time. And it's um, it's a still life. So we it was the assignment was we had to do this all white still life. So every you could put whatever into it that you wanted, um, but every object had to be white. That's and so then at the very end, yeah, it was kind of, and we mm. you know we worked on this for months, uh, and with a full color palette. So my objects that I picked were a bust, like a ceramic uh, bust of the David statue. And it was like laying on its side. And then I had a blank canvas, like leaning against the wall. And I had a, a white like pill bottle that I had taken all the labels off of. So it's just a white, mm -hmm. like, you know, like a Excedrin bottle or whatever, but I took the label off. So it's just white. And then I had the white pills like scattered around. Uh, and I had a white like styrofoam cup uh, and then I had a white lighter, I think. I think I took the lighter out at some point. But anyway, it was this sort of like amalgamation of white objects. And uh, it was in this still life class and we we all had a cubby. And so this still life was set up for months and I did it on a big canvas. And like I said, we had a full color palette. So you had, this was so hard. You had your white, obviously you had your primaries, you had your secondaries and you had a black. And then for, you know, for your yellow, you probably had like a cool and a warm yellow. And then you had mm -hmm. like a cool and a warm red. Like it was the full, full palette. And it was probably a dozen colors. And you had to paint this still life in which all the objects were white. And That's it was so really brilliant. hard. Um, but, you know, because it's it, painting is easier when you just have like the primaries and black yeah. and white which is like what i usually work with but this was like my teacher was challenging us to like do this um and because i had months to work on it it came out really like realistic um and yeah i don't i think that's my favorite painting um because i finally i think that was the point where i finally realized like okay, I can like paint this random assortment of objects and they look exactly like how they really are. Mm. And, and that's just a really exciting moment to get to. I had a lot of help. Like my teacher would come around every time and say, you have to do this and you have to do yeah. that. Um, but it's just a really exciting feeling to be in art school. And then for a long time, and then finally you make this painting and you're like, oh, okay, like this actually you know, it looks exactly like what I want to paint, but it's also in my style. Um, and that's just sort of like a breakthrough. That painting was sort of a breakthrough point for me. That's such an interesting concept, though, because you have a full color palette, but they have to be white. That's so interesting. Yeah. Because because it, it, that, that teaches you about a lot of different things as well. That's the thing. And also like the patience, actually, more than anything else. Because months and months and months. That's so interesting. That's yeah. such a good exercise. Yeah, yeah, we had like really good, a lot of really good exercises in that school, and um, I had this one teacher who, Gus Hoffman, he would say, you know, whenever you get like a third or two thirds of the way through a painting, you always have like your favorite corner, like your favorite spot where you're like, oh, that's so good, and I'm not gonna touch it, you know, mm. and he would be like, wipe it out, like erase it, and do it again, and do it better, and which is like, 
you know, uh-huh. just makes you want to like scream and like throw your brushes, <laughs> you know, because yeah. you're like, no, I love this. But like, I don't know. I think that that's a really important, uh, that's a really important lesson with painting is like, don't get attached to what's there. And I think yeah. that like, because of those exercises now, I have no qualms with just like getting a rag and wiping out an entire part of a painting or a whole painting and doing it again. Uh-huh. Um and then it's like, even if what I put down after isn't good, I'll just erase it again and do it again. Yeah. You know, like. Wow. So that's so that's interesting. I think that's why art education is actually very important, because I think sometimes you learn skills or ways of working or methods of working or practices that you're not going to be able to learn otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. The idea of not being precious with the work is, is actually quite important as well. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I like that. That's that's the idea of creating like a painting of white objects using a full color palette is bizarre. But like that's such a that's just such a weird concept, but it makes sense. That's so interesting. But actually talking about color actually, that's a nice segue. Because I want to talk to you about the color in your work. Because the color in your work gives your work a sense of like a reality. It kind of it makes everything seem a bit more lucid. So like how important is the use of color in your work? And kind of like, are there any particular colours that you'd like to use? Yeah. Um color i think i struggled with color for a long time um because i was taught from this full color palette of your primaries and your secondaries and your black and white um and when you do that you know you have basically like color out of the tube is really really pure and there are very few things in nature that you can paint that are just for example the red out of the tube that you wouldn't have to mix any other color into it's very rare so when you start with this color palette with with these range of really vibrant colors um it's really hard to understand how much you have to sort of tone all those colors down to get to the reality of what's in front of you Hmm. and so after art school i read something online about a painter who just worked with red and yellow and blue and black and white um and essentially if you're a really good painter you can work with those five colors and you can produce anything Mm. because you can figure out the ratio of you know how much you have to cool a color down or how much you have to warm it up you know or how dark and how light you have to make it and you can create virtually any color with that set of colors on your palette I'm not there but working for I worked for four years I think with just those colors and it um you know it just really changed uh my understanding of color I think and it made things a lot easier like it makes your choices a lot easier um and granted you can switch things out or you can have you know a warm and usually I'll work with a warm and a cool red uh because like cad red for example is like a really difficult it's very pure red but it's like it's really difficult to make certain purples with so then you want a cool red and uh that sort of thing um but color like is secondary to me to value and I think that's something that gets taught in art school a lot is like your color doesn't really matter what matters is how light or how dark it is um so for example if you're going to paint a portrait um you 
you know, you study like the planes of the face. So you have like, if your light is coming from the front and the base is uh, like directly facing the light, then you you sort of study in school, you study anatomically um, the planes, the physical planes of the face. So like the front plane of the nose is like bright you know the front plane of the forehead is bright your chin is then like this little square of light and then you have like the side planes of the nose which is a secondary plane which is darker you know and then the cheeks again are bright and then you have the like side planes of the jaw but anyway so if you're painting a portrait and you your values and how light each plane is are correct then when someone walks into the room from like 30 feet away and they look at this portrait they know what it is hmm. and it doesn't matter if your skin is green or brown or white or whatever as long as you have those values right the portrait is going to read as a portrait from far away hmm. which is what most artists want um so that's how i was taught and that's how i work but the colors that i like i still generally work with a set of primaries and um black and white and then the two colors that i'm really interested in right now are uh phthalo green and alizarin crimson which are like these really 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 potent like they're probably the two most like two of the most potent colors that you can get um and phthalo is kind of this like really beautiful turquoise green um, and you just need a drop of it and it like completely transforms any color that you're mixing. Um, oh. And then alizarin crimson is sort of the same, but it's this like really fierce kind of magenta color. Um, and so what I've been playing around with is like, I work on wood now. And so I'll, I'll put a wash, like a, a watered down, uh, really bright color first. So like say alizarin crimson, like I'll just wash the whole wood panel with this really bright magenta and then with wood what happened this really cool thing that happens like once you let that layer dry you can sort of dry brush other things over it but that initial wash will come through mm -hmm. um as this sort of like luminescent color and that's really hard to like i've never really been able to do that with canvas canvas is a lot it's just like denser and it like soaks things up and it's harder to sort of dry brush things onto, at least for me. Um, so that's, that's the sort of stuff that I'm playing with now is like doing these tonal paintings, but over really potent like colors that I've washed down and then seeing if that, like seeing what effect that sort of produces. So how conscious are you when you're creating an, an image, a painting? of the colors you're using in terms of like the emotional values of colors i think i think about that a lot yeah um like in terms of make creating a mood color is really important and like the color palette that you choose sort of determines the, the overall mood of the painting and i and i think as i'm working like i try to um compress the color field if that makes sense like so that it all feels like like it's coming from the same scene um and and a lot of that has to do with color like atmosphere has a lot to do with color mm -hmm. so if you're if i'm painting like uh some trees in front of the sky and the grass like 
the color of the sky is going to be in every other part of the painting too and the color of the tree is also going to be a little bit in the sky and when you mix when you kind of make sure that all the colors like this is so hard to explain but like you can paint a landscape where the tree and the sky and the grass all look like they're from different worlds Hmm. um so it's really hard actually to paint a landscape that looks like one coherent thing like i struggled with that for a long time but it has a lot to do with color and and you know mixing the color of the sky into the color of the grass at least the blue or whatever color that you're using in the sky has to be in the grass because the grass is a perpendicular plane that is directly receiving the light of the sky so it's Mm. like taking on that color even if you don't actually see it um so yeah using color to like localize scenes and make them all coherent is i I spent a lot of time thinking about that yeah and working on that yeah that's actually a really interesting point actually because you want to make sure that the whole image is coherent and it reads as like the same place yeah yeah exactly particularly like if you're using colors that are exaggerated or like if you're painting say the sky like some kind of strange vibrant like pink whatever where it's not necessarily reality it's not exactly how we'd see it it's like you want to make sure that that your work reads as a place or a person without necessarily depicting a place or a person yeah (laughs) yeah so what has creating art taught you about yourself um oh yeah this is a hard question um i think that um painting sort of like teaches you about yourself like retroactively Hmm. like and I think you said in one of your other interviews like every painting is a portrait like even if it's not a portrait um but every painting that you do is sort of like a self-portrait uh and I thought that was just like a really cool idea and it's really true and like I think uh if you take an artist's work and you sort of look over the course of their lifetime like it tells a story about them and i feel the same like kind of with my work um but but it's it's not immediate it's like years after i'll look at Mm. something and i'll be like oh like this was about this and this or um it's sort of like a gradual unfolding that happens when you're not trying Mm. to do it or looking straight at it Um, Which I think goes back to the ambiguity piece of like, not like actively trying, like, like trying to not, how do I explain this? Like, you know, sort of talking right next to or around the point that you're trying to make rather than just like hitting it on the head or like smacking somebody in the face with it, you know? Um, But I think that like, yeah, the learning process about yourself that happens with painting is a lot is like that where um you you only really see things unfolding over time um and i think like it it's taught me that uh well and this is really like cliche but like when i'm really sad or like if something has happened that has like really deeply hurt me the paintings get like better <laughs> which is like a really like such an artist trope that like you have to be in pain or suffering i don't think you have to be suffering but um i do think like when i'm really grappling with something the paintings become more interesting um which is sort of like a toxic cycle to be in 
but yes. it's true. Like it's just like what it is. Why is that though? I don't know. And I, okay, I'm gonna qualify that and say I don't think that that means that you can't make good art if you're happy. Oh, yeah, of course, absolutely. But I feel like oh. I wonder if it's just because like the work it becomes like therapy for you to work out, you know, your problems. And because yeah. of it, maybe because it's a distraction from what you're grappling with or like yeah. the, what you're grappling with will feed into the work itself. But because, so yeah, I think maybe, yeah, maybe because what you're dealing with will feed into the work and because whatever you're dealing with is most likely going to be like a universal theme that other people are feeling, that will then therefore make the work better. Not that you need to be doing that with the work, but that will make the work better or quote unquote more interesting. Because people would understand you created it in a time of like duress, or you created it in a time where you weren't so happy. Because you can tell through the brushstrokes how an artist is feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you can kind of impose your own things that you're grappling with onto something that is created like from a place of of like depth, like mm. emotional depth. Um I don't I don't know exactly why that happens. Um and I and I also think that like the reverse is true. Like if you create something that is from a standpoint of like, you know, true like joy and like ecstasy, like that also comes through. Mm. And like people are also drawn to that. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. But okay. I think there's also, you know, this sort of like weird side conversations that happens with artists a lot about like being genuine and like, oh, your paintings mm. are so genuine. And like, I never know what that means. Like, <laughs> I don't really like understand. I don't know. That's a tangent, but I just think that that's like I never know. I don't know how I would be able to tell. I feel like it's hard to know if you don't see their work in person. Yeah. I feel like if you see it online, there's no way of knowing if an, a person ever made it. To be honest, but AI nowadays, no, especially. Yeah. So I think if you see it in person, I feel like you can probably get a better gauge of that. But I also still agree with you because, it's like, well, what does genuine mean exactly? because art is yeah. fabricated like the whole point is art is a construction no matter how so, good the painting is it's always a construction even a hyper real scene as somebody told me the other day a hyper real scene is still only a person's opinion of the of the photograph they're copying it's the person's impression it's not actually the photograph so yeah that's, that's a good point you raised actually um, definitely something a conversation i need to be having with people about stuff just generally that's a really interesting kind of conversation topic um I'm going to think about that, actually. Um, so I have a question for you from the last artist I interviewed, which was a lovely lady called Susan Stillman. Um, and her question for you is, do you think that sometimes skill can hold you back? Yes. Well, okay. Uh, skill, I think school can sometimes hold you back, uh, which skill like yeah your your physical skill as an artist of like what you can and can't produce um can be stifling uh and i i really value uh school and education and i think that this is extremely important for an artist to like have formal training um but it is when you when you're in classes you know, for hours and hours a day compounded over weeks and months and years. Um, it, it distracts you from the work that you want to make. Hmm. 
Um, and that's not to say that the process of acquiring those skills isn't valuable because it's extremely valuable, but there is a circling back that has to happen, which can take years out of, yeah, you know, when, when you get out of art school, then you begin the process of what was it again that inspired me to want to be an artist? Hmm. Um, but yeah, and I think there's this other aspect of it of sort of, you know, you you acquire skills, which is a process of fine-tuning your capacity to do something, and you work at it again and again and again until you can do the thing perfectly, whether that's playing a symphony or writing a novel or whatever that you want to acquire as your skill but what happens then is that you've now cemented this process in your head of fine-tuning it to the finest point whereas a lot of times the most interesting works of art are unfinished Hmm. um, or sort of scrappy you know not perfect Hmm. and that's what draws you in um And so once you've acquired that skill to create something to perfection, you have to make a concerted mental effort then if you want to make this sort of interesting, imperfect work, you have to then make an effort to scale that back. But I don't think that that's an argument for not acquiring the skill to begin with because you can't get anywhere if you don't learn how to do it, you know. I think there's this argument of like, well, I don't want to go to art school because I don't want to poison my well of imagination, if you will. Um, But you're not, you're just learning a language, you know, and then you can, you can say what you want, how you want. But um, it's, it's just a matter of, of balancing the two. That's a really good consideration. I was writing down this. There's an artist that I saw the other day, um, because I didn't. I, I'm pretty sure I saved. I'm pretty sure I saved their work in my never-ending posts, like say posts, because <laughs> my posts are never-ending. I've got so much I've saved over the years. I don't even feel like, I'm like, oh, I'll message that as later, like you know, five years later. I'm like, yeah, I'll probably get around to it. But she yeah. created this really beautiful painting, and like it was doing like really well. And then because it was oil paint, she smudged it, so she just literally got like a rag and just wiped it into these weird like kind of circular shapes i'm going to send it to you i feel like you'd really enjoy it i'm just what you're talking i'm like this is what i think emma would enjoy i go and write this list of people who like destroy their work who create really beautiful work and they destroy it by like yes. altering it in some way because i feel like that's kind of what you're talking about this idea of like being able to do something technically perfect but then actually doing the opposite because that's what you want to do like you have the skill to do that it's like do you know the artist ben ashton no okay uh Fecto, i'm gonna have a list for you <laughs> i hope you don't Great, mind. i'm so excited I hope you don't. also that's all i do is like literally send artists to people yeah so now i know you every single time i see something that i think you'll like i'll send it to you um Great. so if you Love if it. you don't if you if you get annoyed because sometimes people do just tell me to stop and i will but otherwise if every time i see something i'm like oh, well, i think i'm like this i'm gonna send it over i will always do that i love oh, totally. keeping contact with people i try and keep it i try try and keep in contact with everybody i've interviewed like at least kind of at least you know here and there like kind of friendly but like you know it's a lot of people um yeah. actually that's much as her work 
because I remember she lost her. The artist was saying that she lost, like FedEx lost her for like three thousand pound painting or something. Um, oh. Which is how I found her work. And I was like, oh, that's um, clickbaity. But okay, cool. Um, right, okay. Uh, let me just write that. Actually, there's something else I think you'll like as well. This is the problem with looking at so many artists. It's like I have a feeling I know the kind of work you might like. Um, yeah. Oh, what's her name? No, that's super cool. Yeah, it's like if you don't learn. You know, you want you want to make these like white washed out, like destroyed paintings, but you have to make them perfectly first to destroy them and have it be something beautiful after you destroyed mm. it. Yeah. So, like, you still have to be able to do something before you can get like, into this other realm of creation. Would you like? Would you uh, because you know you said your work is like you know there's like eight or so paintings underneath the painting that you see. Would you never just like spill taps down the painting so you see like half of it revealed underneath wait say that again sorry so like would you ever like spill taps down your painting or something where it would take off like a layer of the paint so we see like fragments of the image underneath oh yeah i that would be really interesting um sometimes i'll sand out a part of the painting i've tried to do that and then get to the layer underneath but it's really difficult to do um I don't know that I'm like that advanced that I could like block out whole parts of a painting and like be okay with <laughs> like that's sort of a practice that um is hard to get to that point of being able to like I don't think I'm at the point where I could like create a perfect painting and then destroy it and then be done with it like that's really that's it sounds funny but that's really advanced you know like you have to be in a really advanced state of creation to be able to do that yeah and you have to also know that that is your end goal yeah because you'll be very precious with the fact you painted something really beautiful that you're like do you really want to destroy that unless that's literally your whole kind of the appeal of your work yeah. um because there's another artist i'm going to stop keep writing down artists in a second um who does <laughs> who does that who will paint stuff and it's just literally like he'll just go at it and it's like really interesting um his work's actually really interesting um, I'm just writing like a list of people we have to look at. I'm so sorry. I love it. Um, you say that until I bombard you with like 50 different posts later on. Um, <laughs> you think I'm joking? And because the problem is, I will literally go through all the people I'm following and be like, "Oh, actually, Emma will like this. Emma will like this. Sense, sense, sense." So you're going to have like a long list later. Just warning you now. Um, I'm excited because I like I do that. I'll like comment on artists that I like and follow them and like you know start conversations with them. So absolutely, send them voice messages. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds scary, but it's not. Just ask, like, so the question I ask every artist that I meet in person and on here, which I don't think I've actually asked you, which I'm probably going to ask you in a second, actually. Um, and it's what is the biggest challenge of being an artist? Because it's a very, like, everyone always has a different opinion or a different answer. It's a very good icebreaker question. So if you're ever talking to an artist, ask them, say, what's the biggest challenge you faced this year with your work? Easiest way to get into know them and their work and what they're about and what they're interested in. A very easy way to get into, like, their work um that's cool it's like when i go to art fairs in london i literally spend seven hours walking around asking people the same question that's literally how i find people to interview for the podcast which is why a lot of the british artists i interview i've met um which is cool because that's that just so super fun cool. that's super fun so at least i, I can't go this there's one in october but i can't go because i'm going to be on holiday but i'm like yeah i always make it an, an effort to go and meet people in real life as well because that's not what i normally do and i'm like real life interactions are also a good idea not just staying at people over Zoom. Um, so actually, actually, I was asking a question now, actually. So what is the uh, biggest challenge? Wait, what is the biggest challenge of being an artist? 
Yeah, it is a good question. Um, I think for me, uh, it's a question of like motivating yourself um, because the the place where artists get inspiration from is so like you know, I don't want to say divine, but it's very like, it feels like it's coming from somewhere else and it's completely out of your power and control. And so then when you get into this dip of not wanting to create, that's really, really hard. And like, I will just go physically go to my studio, which I think is why I'm so grateful to have a studio that I'm not just like painting in my living room or something. But like when I'm in that that low point where I don't feel inspired and I don't want to make anything I just go and sit in the studio and like inevitably I'll putz and I'll do like one little thing and then at least I've done something you know yeah um but I feel like that is the biggest challenge you know among other ones financially selling your work is extremely difficult um but in terms of like the creative process you know, there's nobody, there's nobody standing in your kitchen when you wake up going, well, you gotta, you know, you gotta go to the studio or else you're going to get fired. You know, like nobody's nobody, if you want to sit on your couch all day, you can sit on your couch all day. And like, sometimes that's what you want to do. Sometimes that's what I want to do. Um, but I I have to make myself go, even if I have no ideas of what I want to paint or I have no motivation. Um, it just it takes a tremendous amount of discipline Hmm. um and which i think also is another thing that is uh hard to see when you're not an artist you know like it's it's easy to look at a painting and go well that's you know that seems like all fun and games and um but i think the artists that i know are actually some of the most devoted professional people that I've ever met um because you have to juggle all of these things at the same time you have to be creative but you also have to be extremely um analytical and determined and persistent and you have to embody both of those things if you're going to be successful I think and so there's just there's just so much to go into it and we need the help of other people uh, but at the same time nobody's going to like fire you from your job if you don't show up. Um, so I think that that's the biggest challenge. So can anybody be an artist? Like professionally or in general? Yeah, professionally. Well, I guess it depends on what your, as I've just said earlier, very early on in this conversation, it depends on what your definition of an artist is. But I guess I'm, I guess, yeah, I guess I mean professional artist, as in like you're selling work and that's your main that's your main income um no i don't think everyone can do it um because um not everyone is is built like that like not everyone has ideas of things to make you know Mm. there's there's a lot of people that um that that's just not in their skill set and um that's perfectly fine and you know they're extremely successful in other areas of their life but i think if you're missing that one the creative aspect i don't think that you can be a professional artist um and i and i don't 
Um, cause it's just a, it's sort of a way of thinking. And mm-hmm. like, I talk to a lot of people who are like, I don't have any creative anything, mm-hmm. you know, um, which is again, perfectly fine. Um, but I don't think that, I think because of that, not everybody's suited for that, that profession. Uh, it's really hard, even if you do have creative inspiration, but if you don't have that key ingredient, I don't think you can be a professional artist. Yeah. Right. So three more questions left, just so you're aware. So yeah. in your opinion, what makes a good piece of art? I think a good piece of art brings the viewer in touch with themselves. And I think that like the deepest point where you can reach someone is in the self more so than any sort of like external reality. Like if you can touch someone personally through a piece of art, that's really powerful and and making someone feel something, you know, is not an easy thing to do. And I think that that's like largely the function that art has today right now is like to, to make people feel something. So yeah, I think right now a good work of art is produces an emotion in someone and, or makes them think twice about something or, you know, Oh, Hey, like, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll call that one friend that I haven't called in a while, Mm. you know, and maybe I'll like finally say the thing that I needed to say or something like that, you know, like that's what good art does, I think. So what was the last image or piece of media that captivated you? And uh, what was it about that left an impression on you? Oh, so, okay. There's this painter um, who goes by the name Sainer. Have you heard of him? I have. Uh, yeah, Sainer underscore Atom is their username on yeah. Instagram. Uh, and I think that was the last artist that I found that I was like, holy shit, you know? <laughs> like, you, mm. like, I don't know. I think there's there's always those few artists where because because of the sort of work that you make you know when you see their work it's like this thing clicks in your head and i think his work is like like really really interesting and beautiful and um because he's making these sort of they're sort of collaged, but like the way that he's working with color is really interesting. So like, it'll be a scene, but then one part of the canvas is like really tonal. And then another part is really uh, bright, like bold color, um, which is, which is a really sort of backwards way of going about building a composition when you think about value, because they're all kind of the same. They're they're the value scale of his paintings are sort of compressed, but the composition reads because he's working so well with color and Mm. it's, it's like really advanced painting. And I think it was just like really inspiring for me uh, to see that. And like, he's obviously really good at drawing, but then he'll just like block out a whole like panel of the painting and like bright green. And there's no nuance to it at all. It's just this like square that's like bright green. And you're like, what are you doing? But it like works really well. Mm-hmm. And then if you see them from far away, it's like actually really beautiful. Um, but you're always taught, you know, like 
put some nuance in your color, you know, or like if you mix a green, like mix another green that's really similar to it and then lay them next to each other. Like that's what I was always taught, like mix a warm and a cool of the same color. Uh, so it's kind of counterintuitive to like block out this giant space in the canvas and just fill it with like one solid color that has like no nuance, but it's really beautifully done. Um, yeah, good choice. So what would your younger self think about your work? My younger self, I think like myself as a kid would be like, what is going on? <laughs> um, but I think that like my 20, 21 year old self, I think would be really stoked because like, I feel very in touch with my like 19, 20 year old self when I'm painting. Um, because at that time, like I knew that I wanted to make these sort of surreal dreamlike paintings, but I didn't, I couldn't do it. Like mm. I just didn't have the skill. And so I would try and it would just come out and like, it would, I would just be like, this is stupid. Like it doesn't, I'm not communicating like the depth of actually what I'm trying to say. Um, and now it's been 10 years and I feel like I've been through school and I've, I've learned how to actually paint and now I circled back to what I was originally wanting to make um at that time so I feel I feel connected with that person that I was at that time yeah when I'm that's, making art that's so lovely that's absolutely lovely and it's nice that you circle back and you're doing what you set out to originally want to do and that's really good and that's also probably why your work is the way it is and it's as impactful as it is is because it's actually something that you want to do it's not something that you're you're like oh this is trendy let's follow this it's like oh this is what i'm interested in yeah yeah right so true. the last question you'll be very happy to know as everybody is in these interviews <laughs> but that is what are you currently working on and where can people find more about you and your work oh cool cool currently i'm working on a few figure paintings for a show at a bend gallery in denver um it's a b e n d a bend one word um and they're doing a contemporary figurative show um mm. it's called contemporary figuration actually um and so i'm doing these three figure paintings that i'm excited about i'm kind of like playing with color like getting out of my comfort zone a little with color with those Good. um so that's i'm excited about those uh and then you can find out more about my work on my website, which is emmacolf.com. My Instagram is emma.colf.studio. Um, and yeah. Right. Okay. Emma, <laughs> I'm going to leave you alone. But thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate yeah, your, thank you. your time. And just honestly, you just being so lovely and honest and just honestly welcoming. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate you too. This is lovely. That concludes my conversation with artist Emma Carr. Thank you very much for listening. If you have any questions or comments about it, please send me an email over at theflyingthroughbar at gmail.com and get in touch via social media sites such as Twitter and Instagram. The Flying Through Bar podcast can be found on a variety of sites such as Spotify, YouTube or Apple Music or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like the show, please consider rating, reviewing, sharing or subscribing on any of these platforms to help spread the word. Also, don't forget to check out theflyingfruitball.co.uk for daily art inspiration. And if you're a creative, please get in touch for a chance to be featured or interviewed. 
If you'd like to support the platform further, we now also have a Patreon page for monthly donations. Tears down for £1. More information and a list of rewards can be found over at patreon.com forward slash the Additionally, if monthly donations are not your thing, we have a PayPal for one-time donations. Once again, thank you very much for listening to this episode today, folks. And until next time, please stay safe.